Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, happy Friday the 13th. Yes, it's the day that triskaidekaphobics fear most, and that's fear of the Friday, that's fear of the number is 13. So you all can run to your psychologist, you all can run to your therapist, and uh, get some relief, because today is, once again, Friday the 13th. Now, normally that's a good luck day for me. In fact, today I think it's going to be a very good luck day for me. However, in times past, I, you know, I was fired from my, my dream job on Friday the 13th, so it always kind of sticks in my mind. So if you have a story, if you have a Friday the 13th story, uh, bad luck, misfortune, otherwise, you know, mishaps, or even fortune, you know, <laughs> this would be a good day to talk about it. It's Friday, and I don't really care. So, you know, it's been a great week. I feel like I've accomplished my, my week's work already. Uh, so this is, this is going to be a good day. Anyway, so again, that was uh, from, from WBY, my, my dream job. Uh, and so you're in four months of, of uh, the best job I ever had, uh, other than this one. <laughs> but this one's different because there, I, you know, we had a producer, we had a studio, and this little little uh, uh, house that was, uh, was it actually was built as a radio station. This is how they used to do it in the old days. It had like one, it had, a, it had a, like a, a lounge area for for guests. It had the boss's office, it had a production studio, and then it had the, the main studio. And so that, that was it. It was fun. Anyway, so that's my, that's my Friday the 13th story. But generally, you know, I've gotten jobs. Good things have happened. Uh, it's, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I look at everything as, as, as good fortune until proven otherwise. <laughs> and so today, so far, so, so far, so good, you know. So anyway, it should be interesting to see what, what happens. But uh, this is one of those days. And I, I don't hear big, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of play. There's, you know, they don't show the, the Friday the 13th movies are all lining up. Uh, or maybe I'm not looking at the right channels anymore, you know, with my little Roku thing. But, uh, yep, so here it is. That's the first thing. Second thing, this has been just a, a, a gangbuster of a week. I mean, it's, it's been incredible, the amount of folks I've been able to talk to, particularly yesterday. We had Kenneth Weeks. We talked about drones. Uh, again, I replayed his interview from five years ago, I think last week or the week before, I think maybe two weeks ago. Uh, anyway, so we had Kenneth on that. But yesterday I met John, Jonathan Otto. Now, I, you know, I have one of my secret agents you know, helping us out here with the show. There's, there's many friends of Action Radio behind the scenes. And so uh, it, she introduced me to Jonathan Otto, who's Australian uh, filmmaker, producer, investigative journalist, health expert. You know, we talked about everything yesterday from humanitarian causes to venom. I mean, it was a fascinating show. So if you get a chance to listen, please do. 
In fact, hopefully you'll be sharing all our shows, uh, sharing our, our bills and sharing everything that we do here. Uh, so most of the bill stuff is actually done off the air at writeyourlaws.com. So you want to go to writeyourlaws, that's W-R-I-T-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. I wonder if my voice sounds scratchy. I, I sort of had like this low-grade something. But because I have a, a natural immune system working pretty well, you know, I'm not sick. I'm just like low-grade something. <laughs> so something's got to drag me down just a little tiny bit. But otherwise, I'm, you know, I'm fine and having fun. And well, it's cold out there. That, that tends to do it. So we start the show an hour earlier um, on Fridays because we have Shirley Watchell coming in at the bottom of this hour. And she's East Coast time and I'm Central time, so it's early. <laughs> otherwise, we'd figure it out. Um, but then we have uh, then Derek Park is in at the bottom of the second hour. And so, and after that, it's just kind of a free for all, free for, free for all now, and then a free for all um, then. Um, the other topic I was thinking of is anybody else tired of people dropping dead around us? I mean, I am, you know. I mean, and especially when there's no reason for it. I mean, I, I'm not trying to, you know, um, you know, sort of like blandly you know, describe this topic, but you know, we're, we're, I mean, talk about overkill. I mean, literally, it is overkill, you know. So the the COVID jabs, I think uh, Lisa Marie Presley, you know, although. Um, they never say it. It's always in a, you know, it's, it's like the code words. I mean, how do you tell it was a COVID shot death? Well, they, first of all, they don't say it. Uh, they don't, they, they don't give any uh, vaccine injured status. Uh, it's usually sudden uh, out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, uh, it's always a heart, <laughs> heart attack, heart collapse, heart something from somebody who's otherwise healthy, you know, two days ago. Uh, and so, or whatever, but, and it's almost always, I think, uh, see a lot of times it's, it's entertainers and sports stars. Well, entertainers got the jab you know, the COVID shot because they wanted to do virtue signal. They wanted to show how, how with they were with, with the plan, you know, got to get with the program, you know, that, that, uh, from that line from uh, the original Die Hard, you know, they give the program man, just do it, just do what we tell you, you know, and of course everybody drops dead. Right. Uh, and so for those of us that did not get with the program that had a different program, hydroxychloroquine, you know, azithromycin, vitamin D3, vitamin C, zinc, you know, uh, ivermectin, those kind of things, we're still here and we're fine. But I just, you know, those, those folks that, I mean, I know they thought they were doing the right thing, but you've got to have some common sense. First of all, you never trust your government. I mean, everybody knows that. You know, like I say, back through, uh, you know, technically the earliest government, what's the earliest form of government? Which country had the first bureaucrats, all right? You can go back through ancient Greece, ancient Rome, ancient Egypt, you know, the Babylonians, the Syrians, Carthaginians, the Trojans, you go back, any, pick a society, all right? Now, I'm not really good at my ancient history, although I want to learn more about it. But uh, they all had governments. And uh, I don't think you think Rome trusted the, the Roman, especially the Caesars. I mean, they were dictators, right? But before the Caesars, they were a republic. And it's kind of interesting that before, you know, we had the, the dictatorship of the, the, the Brandon, you know, Democrat uh, deep state insurrection. You know, we actually had a republic with, you know, people that were duly elected, we think, um, uh, you know, running the place. And we actually had the Constitution and, and limitations on government and constitutional procedures and appropriations bills and things that made the country run fine. Well, then, of course, we lost that uh, over the last 50 years when people thought it was okay not to follow the law and basically to do whatever they felt like according to their political agenda. Well, of course, that's when things get screwed up. And then, it, then the profit motive ended into it, and people found that, they could, that the most profitable place to be was government. And so the government was, had the most secure jobs that paid the most, had the most benefits, and still had pensions when everybody else had lost their pensions. So in the real world, you know, you have, you have to produce, you have to actually generate money. You, your job, you have to be worth something or the company's going to fire you because if you're not making money for the company, then there's no point in them paying you. You know, that's just simple economics. That's the free market. And government doesn't work that way. 
government, you're there because of your skin color, because of uh, uh, political, you know, whatever the aspirations, the, the government wants to be bigger, you know, so they don't really care whether you work or not. Working in government is not the point. The point is just being in government, making the government bigger. And so if people don't do anything, that's not a problem as long as the government gets bigger and they get more money each year. So what they really need to do, and that comes to the Congress, when it comes to appropriations bills, what they have to start doing is cutting the government and say, okay, well, you're going to start justifying all your costs. I mean, the whole thing. So I, I would start with a 50% cut of, of everything. Just cut every, every department, every everything by 50%. Fire 50% of the people and say, okay, let's see what you can do now. <laughs> you know, that's all you get. And, and so that would be a, that would be a good start. Uh, to start doing things. Or, and the other thing, of course, is you take away the power of Congress to borrow money. And we have a constitutional amendment to do that. But that's my original point, that uh, people are just dropping dead around us. At some point, you know, it's like war. You, know, you, you, watch, you know, watch so many war things, and, and people get tired. They want more. They want more of that adrenaline rush. All right? uh, and I think that's what's happening in government. It's like, yeah, this is great. We're depopulating. Oh, boy. And, I mean, there, there, there's truly sick people out there. But it's just at some point, and you know, I never, I never want to be so callous that I don't react when somebody dies tragically at a young age, um, somebody from a COVID shot, uh, because of that, you know, I mean, I told you so, it just doesn't do it, not for me. And so we still have to reach out, we still have to do what we can. But uh, the best way to stop this, uh, I believe, is vaccine product liability. You know, I mean, for all the people that have the jab, I mean, and there's a recovery from that. There's, there's injury recovery from the jab. You've got to, you've got to uh, take away the power of the of the, 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 the snake venom-like poisons uh, that are in the jab. You've got to take away, you've got to sort of, you know, turn down the HIV components. You've got to uh, turn off the graphene oxide, you know, and the magnetic things that are in there. You've got to basically destroy uh, the spike proteins, and there's lots of ways to do that. You know, Dr. Judy Mikevitz, therealdrjudy.com, you know, and other places. Jonathan Otto, go to his health sites. Uh, you know, so look up Jonathan Otto, O-T-T-O, my guest from yesterday. So there's many ways that you can help yourself. I used to think there was nothing you could do once you got the jab, and that's not true anymore. There's lots of things you can do. So, it's not, so don't just sit there and wait to die. If you, if you uh, make the mistake of getting it, uh, especially if you virtue signal saying, oh, this is the best thing in the world, you have to get it, and you try to force other people to get it, okay, stop doing that, first of all. <laughs> Secondly, recover from your vaccine injury you know, and start doing it now. I mean, you need therapy to recover from that. But it's just, you know, it's just, it's very strange um, that, uh, that people are, are dropping dead and there's not, you know, and there's nobody, there's no reaction. You know, if these were gunshot victims, if they were gunshot victims, there'd be new calls to ban guns. Well, and this, it's, it's kind of strange that uh, uh, there's no call to ban vaccines, even though lots of people are dropping dead. Well-known people, people at very young ages, you know, high school students are dropping dead from COVID shots. You know, and they were shot, there would be calls for gun control. Where's the, where's, the, where's the call for vaccine control? I mean, this is what's causing the problem. So where, where is everybody? Well, of course, they want, the, they want the jab. Either they believe in depopulation, they believe in government, they're scared to death of something that doesn't affect 99% of the population, um, or they're just weird. <laughs> they just want to conform and say, I'm, I'm with you, because you know, they think the majority of people favor this kind of thing. So for whatever reason it is, that, that there are problems out there. Anyway, so this week I, I uh, wanted it was Wednesday. Uh, I found an article, actually Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, I found some articles by Dick, one article by Dick Morris on why the left, you know, how they gained so much power. It's fascinating. Uh, the transition from uh, economic Marxism, which is classic Marxism, to cultural Marxism, which is cancel culture, political correctness, you know, all the, the wokeness and all the other stupid acronyms we have, or stupid, uh, uh, what, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, tags, characteristics, uh, this, you know, categories uh, of things that are, are you know, Marxist suppression of your thought, of control of the information. 
So they've gone from controlling the means of production to the controlling the means of, of information dispersal. And it's just as bad. Anyway, so I found several articles by Dick Morris, who is, you know, my favorite analyst right now. In fact, uh, well, let, me, let me check. Just <laughs> This is live radio. I can do it. So let me go back to that, uh, how did the left acquire so much power? Because I put a comment on that article yesterday. And what I said was, you know, uh, I'm fighting cultural Marxism every day. Here's my show, and here are three bills. And so the three bills are still there. Let me just refresh the uh, article and see if anything new has come in. Hopefully, Dick Morris will actually see the comments at the bottom of this article at dickmorris.com. And remember him? He was the one that helped Bill Clinton out way back when. Right? Then he saw the, the light and, and uh, said, no, I can't do that anymore. I've got to support uh, you know, conservatives and Republicans and you know, hopefully people that will there'll be a solution to the problem rather than causing the problem. Now, where, where is the comment section? I can't get to it. If I can cross up the editor. See if I can get down to the comments. Come on, comments. What, did they shut off the comments? Uh, uh, here we go. Do, 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 do. More comments above me. More comments, more comments. There I am. Nobody responded. Okay, well, let's, let's hopefully Dick Morris do that. And uh, we'll, uh, I want him on the show. I said, you know, Mr. Morris, sir, <laughs> I've got some things that interest you a lot. Vaccine product liability, ending big tech censorship, constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money, uh, and uh, disarming the federal bureaucracy of 287,000 armed bureaucrats of their half a million to a million guns and their billions of rounds of ammunition, and give that back to the taxpayers. That's my plan. So in the Western Journal, there's an op-ed that uh, Dick Morris wrote January 9th, four days ago before our happy Friday the 13th, (laughs) which we're in today. And it says, Dick Morris, Biden likes, Dick Morris, there we go, colon, Biden likes open borders, high gas prices, inflation, and unemployment. So this, I had a couple of different articles on this, but this one article kind of encompasses everything. And then when, when we get to the, um, the back hour, the last hour of the show, I'll go back on some of these others. Plus, you know, anytime I have for other stuff, I've got, you know, like 12, 15 articles I've been wanting to cover for a couple of weeks. But, you know, we get busy here. All right. So Dick Morris on January 9th from uh, the Western Journal, from his original DickMorris.com says, well, first of all, he says President Joe Biden. So let me excuse his inaccuracy there. I'll just say Joe Biden's political handlers are touting his projected move to center away from the leftist policies thus far in his term. Right. But it won't. But it won't and can't happen because the things we perceive as problems, Biden and his supporters see as opportunities to advance their agenda of socialism. That's the, this is why I like Dick Morris. That's one of the clearest statements out there. So all those folks that said, well, we have to get Biden to the border, he'll see that as a problem. No, he won't. He, he wants that. He wants legal aliens, millions of them, to, to vote Democrat. Well, we have to uh, show Biden how bad the economy is. He's got to go to the cities and see the homeless. No, he doesn't. He wants inflation, you know, because it makes the debt easier to pay off because uh, a million-dollar debt, you know, is still a million-dollar debt, you know, per hour or <laughs> whatever it is or per minute. You know, uh, you know when, and if the dollar's worth less, then that million dollars is, is less of a cost. That's why the government loves inflation. That's they love illegal aliens because, you know, they're going to be voters. You know, they, they love high energy prices because they want to have mono, mono energy. You know, there was electricity only. Well, that's basically the sum of it. So let me just read this again. So Joe Biden's political handlers are touting his projected move to the center away from the leftist policies thus far in his term. Well, that's just a fantasy. And he says it, too, in the second line, but it won't happen and can't happen because the things we perceive as problems, Biden and his supporters see as opportunities to advance their agenda of socialism. Then he says immigration is the clearest example. Oh, by the way, what's going on uh, south of the border is not immigration. It's an invasion of illegal aliens. Immigration is a legal process, first of all. 
So, so Dick Morris says, while most Americans cringe at the millions coming over the southern border illegally, to Biden and his people, the extra votes they will someday cast are a heaven-sent gift. They won't control illegal immigration because they support it. They want it. They need it. Even as Latinos switch to Republican after decades of experience as Americans, so their votes are potentially offset by the new illegal immigrants, excuse me, illegal aliens, Dick, illegal aliens coming into our nation each day. And this is something that I've talked about um, for a long time, that the, the Republican notion that they cannot condemn illegal, alien, illegal aliens because the Hispanic Americans will get upset was always a bunch of nonsense. The only way you can believe that is if you believe that all Hispanics are one block, thinking monolithically, all thinking the same, that illegal aliens are a good thing. But to, to longstanding or even shortstanding, you know, recent uh, legal Hispanic immigrants, the idea of illegal aliens is, is, is disgusting. It's as disgusting as it is to anybody else that loves this country. So the only criteria is do you love the country? I don't care who you are, where you are, how long you've been here, where you're from, you know, how many generations you have lived here. You either love the country or you don't. You know, and you can love the country and still see the problems because you want to fix them. That's what we do here. But this idea that Hispanics, you know, as a block, you know, love illegal aliens simply because Hispanics are, are a large portion of the illegal aliens coming here is nonsense. Always was. Republicans are slowly coming to realize the error of their ways. So he says, this, so just to recap, uh, Morris says they won't control illegal immigration because they support it. They want it. They need it. And this is the key. Even as Latinos switch to Republican after decades of experience as Americans. See, we can't wait decades for these new, these five million new illegal aliens to suddenly, you know, realize, oh, this is a pretty good country after all. It's not all benefits. You know, it's not all welfare from other people. You know, we can't wait that long. So that's, that's why they have to go home. Right. So, you know, uh, was the Yankee go home? You know, alien go home. <laughs> we need big signs on that. Aliens go home. Right. Uh, but he says, but uh, switch, let's switch Republicans after decades of experience as Americans. So the votes are potentially offset by the new illegal immigrants coming into the nation each day. Excuse me, aliens. Then he says, energy costs, likewise for energy costs. To most Americans, $4 or $5 for a gallon of gas is a problem, even a crisis. Yeah, it is. But to the left, it is a chance to flip people from fossil fuels, which we call organic fuels, uh, to electric cars, which I call mono energy, you know, single energy source. One, it's, it's like a single-payer health insurance. Well, this is single energy source. Single energy source energy is, is stupid. He says, in Europe, environmentalists have raised energy taxes to make people drive less and buy electric cars. Well, this is, this, this is legislating, you know, uh, free, legislating away freedom. You can't do that either, even though they do. Uh, he says, in the United States, curbs on drilling serve the same purpose. So, so the way that they're stopping you know, your freedom to travel, your right to travel, which I believe travel is a right, Oh, travel is not a right, Greg. Oh, really? How do you live in a free society without the ability to freely travel? Of course, travel is a right. Anyway, so it says, uh, it says the United States curb, curb, curbs on drilling serve the same purpose. Yeah, you just take away the energy source. It's like you don't have to ban guns. You just ban bullets. <laughs> it's the same effect, right? He says inflation is a problem for us all, but to the left, it cheapens the real cost of the national debt. This is key to understand, too. So this one article really encapsulates everything that Dick Morris is talking about as to why we're in the problems we're in. It's by design. And, and, and these idiots that are saying, no, oh, Biden's got to go to the border. Biden has to realize how bad the problems are. He's causing the problems. He wants these problems because to them, they're not problems. They're virtues. High energy cost is virtue. Illegal aliens are a virtue. You know, all these things. Inflation is a virtue. These are good things. And this is why it's impossible to believe, to believe that Brandon won the election. Because the simple fact is everything that the government wants 
you know, is the things that people don't want. So this is what you can do to somebody who's intellectually challenged on the left, who's a, who's a, we'd say an election, you know, liar. So the election liars are the ones that say that the Brandon won. Well, it was impossible for Brandon to win. I, I, I don't even need any evidence. I can just look at this logically, you know, very simply that Americans hate inflation, but government loves inflation. The government chose Biden. Government chose Biden. Mike Pence, the Republican establishment, and the Democrat Marxists chose their government for us. They chose Joe Biden, the moron, you know, to be uh, the, the, the mouth, you know, with Obama, Clinton, and, uh, some, and the Republican establishment behind them uh, to run the country. So the government chose the government. Okay, that's why we need to, uh, we need to replace a lot of people, <laughs> you know, or as Jesse says, arrest them all. Um, but, uh, but the simple fact is that the government chose the government because John, Donald Trump those are things that they didn't want. Donald Trump chose low inflation, low energy cost, high productivity, high job uh, increases in numbers, you know, a good foreign policy, a strong military, you know, a border wall, you know, cutting back on illegal aliens and sending them home, you know, a good foreign policy, uh, especially in terms of NATO, making NATO pay their fair share. These are all things that Americans want. So when you think about it logically, it's impossible for Joe Biden to win the election on simple logic. Because there's no way that he could win based on what he had advocated, which was high gas prices, high inflation, you know, massive government borrowing, you know, no border wall, massive illegal aliens, no military, no foreign events, no foreign policy, you know, sucking up to everybody, you know, putting us under the globalists, under the UN and under everything else. There's no way that somebody with that platform can win the presidency because Americans hate every one of those things. But government loves them. See, that's the difference. See, this is when, people, when people say they, they, they hate Trump. The first question is, well, are you in government or are you in America? You know, and I make that separation. See, government's its own country. And I, I'm gonna, I've, I've got my Substack uh, uh, article. That's going to be my second article. The nation of government. Government is, in fact, its own country. Uh, it's become a country. So Washington is actually a nation in the world. It's an independent nation of government. And it has colonies. You know, Virginia, <laughs> California, <laughs> Minnesota, Florida, Kansas you know, Arizona, Texas, these are all colonies of the nation of government in Washington, D.C. And if you look at it that way, I think a lot of things start to make sense, that they consider themselves the nation. The Washington, D.C., the federal government represents the United States. The federal government can choose its own government because it's an independent country. So the only people who voted for Joe Biden were, was the government. The government voted for Joe Biden. The people didn't. Well, some people did, but, you know, there's no accounting for that. But the, the people voted for Donald Trump. The government voted. See, it's not that the election was stolen. It's the election doesn't matter because the only election that matters was a selection of delegates, you know, that, that put the person that the government wanted in power, which was, which was Brandon. So if you look at it that way, it makes sense. The government chose the government. The government chose the policies that they want. They chose the person that's going to implement high inflation. You know, they don't care about employment, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever's going to be a globalist thing, you know, change, socialism, uh, illegal aliens, you know, uh, and no energy. You know, to control people, make them all use electricity, which can be metered. See, if the only energy source is electricity, right, the only energy source is electricity, your electric car, your electric stove, you know, your electric water heater, your, electric, your electricity for your computer, if literally everything is on electricity and everything is regulated by a smart meter and every bit of electricity you get comes from a government-controlled utility, then the government controls all the energy. What is that Batman film? <laughs> you know, they had the device, like the mind control device, uh, Jim Carrey. You know, and he, he was like sucking the brains out of everybody. But they had one device that controlled everybody. Well, the government, the, the device that controls everybody, you know, is electricity. 
If you control the electricity, if you control the only source of energy, you control everything. The food supply, transportation, where you can live, you know, what kind of temperature you have to live with, everything. You know, how much computer time you get, how much hot water you get, how much time you have for your stove, what you can eat. You know, you know, maybe bugs take less time to cook. So they'll say, well, you know, you only have so much electricity, so you might as well cook bugs because the steak is longer. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the kind of logic they'll say. Well, in order to, uh, you know, help the population out, you know, to, to, do, uh, to serve the public good, of course, there is no public good. That's, that's, a, that's a totally absurd concept. There's no such thing as public good, okay? The only public good, and I, I've been watching Ann Rand films <laughs> from the, from the, the 2011 to the 2014 Ann Rand films on Atlas Shrugged. And I, my, this is my quote, not their quote, this is my quote, that the only public good is the total accumulation of all the individual choices and individual decisions made free of government interference. That is the public good. The public determines the public good through the, the sum of individual decisions freely made. That's it. Back to, the, back to the article. He says, inflation is a problem for us all, but to the left, it cheapens the real cost of the national debt. Understand that inflation that $31 trillion less because the actual money is worth less. So it's easier to pay off, especially when you flood the economy with more dollars. But that's what creates inflation. You know? So it's just it's, it's a vicious cycle. Dick Morris says, debtors have always sided with the left to repay the money they owe in inflated, less valuable dollars. The same holds true for the government and its liberal, its liberal pilots. If they can't and won't reduce the national debt through spending cuts, they want to do so by cheapening the dollar through inflation to lock in their potential gains. So the money they borrow now at, at, higher, uh, you know, at higher inflation, uh, as inflation continues, then the, their borrowing actually looks like it's less. It's, I'm not sure exactly how it works. I'll talk to Derek about that when he comes on in an hour. He says, ditto for unemployment. This is Morris. Productive, remunerative private sector workers tend to be Republican, but those who lose their jobs and have to depend on government for welfare and unemployment benefits vote Democrat. That's true. So they were paying people during COVID to not only not work, but particularly to vote Democrat, to perpetuate the spending, which, which created inflation for the rest of us. Then he has an article I'll probably get to later where he says that most of the, you know, 37% of the population doesn't feel inflation because they're on government dollars and government increases. Social Security just got a big increase uh, for this year you know, about uh, uh, 8%, which is about the rate of inflation. So Social Security keeps pace with inflation. So unless your job gave you an 8% raise, you're behind, <laughs> okay? But that's not how it works. You, you pay based on what you produce in the private sector, not on what, uh, what you think you're worth or what, what it costs for the lifestyle that you want to have. So the article says, productive, remunerative private sector workers tend to be Republican, but those who lose their jobs tend to vote Democrat. In the first two years as president, well, that's a misnomer too. In the first two years of his coup, Biden opened the borders to let in millions. They are not going back to Mexico, nor are the social benefits enacted here to stop unemployment or offset inflation going down. Now, having made these gains, you know, Brandon and his party want to pocket them and use a perceived centrist drift to keep them in place by getting reelected in 2024. That's their game. and They are winning. It's quite true. Democrats are winning right now because we don't have a press, we don't have a free media, Republicans are gutless, gal- and, and uh, those of us that do actually have uh, you know, media different than the mainstream, it's not big enough, not powerful enough, it's not being shared enough. And you know, two out of three of our media, I think, are completely co-opted, and that would be Newsmax and Fox News. Fox News used to be a conservative news service, not anymore. They get rid of the conservatives, Eric Bowling, you know, Bill O'Reilly, uh, they had these bogus sex scandals. Uh, maybe some of them were real, I don't know. Uh, it seems to me they were bogus simply because it seemed all too convenient that these folks weren't there. 
And so this is why I'm, uh, I'm questioning it all. Anyway, so that's what happened. So the only news network left is One American News. That's pretty much it. So unless you're watching One American News, and I hate to have mono news, you know, you need other sources of information. But that's pretty much where we are now with mono news. You know, that's how it works. So you've got one station, One American News, and they're being taken off so many platforms. Uh, it's hard to find them. Anyway, let me uh, – well, no, I was just going to play something else, but she jumped on the line just before I hit the button. So let's get to uh, Shirley Watchell with uh, uh, DC Project Women and Guns report. Now, let me see if I can find it. It was under S. I keep forgetting where I put things. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Laugh at me. See if I care. It's Friday the 13th. That's how it goes. When one is faced with a crisis, you find your true character. How you react to such an emergency can determine the rest of your life. Two paths present themselves for you to choose. One leads to tragedy. The other leads to becoming a new person. Shirley Wattrell, a survivor of a dangerously abusive relationship, is that new person. She's the author of Heels to Holster. She is a firearms instructor, motivational speaker, women's empowerment advocate, and a reporter for Action Radio. So now, here is the DC Project. Women and Guns with Shirley Wattrell. Yay. Happy Friday the 13th. Oh, boy. What are you going to do today? Yeah, how exciting. Good morning. Yeah, it is exciting for all those, especially for the Triska Decaphobes out there. So I I wish you well. (laughs) I love to use that that word in conversation. Have you heard that before, Triska Decaphobic? I have. Okay, good. But I have heard it. Well, it's not as bad as anti-disestablishmentarianism, but, you know, I digress. <laughs> so how's everything going? Fine. We've had a fabulous week. Uh, I've been analyzing Dick Morris articles, who I think is the most uh, accurate, perceptive, and, and plain-speaking person uh, in politics today, uh, even though he worked for the Clintons at one point, but he knows Democrats. And he's just, I did some, uh, one of his uh, articles, it's on our, our Facebook pages, about uh, how did the left gain so much power? the transition from economic classical Marxism to cultural Marxism, which is going from the controlling the means of production to controlling the, the dissemination of information. And so it's, it's been a fascinating journey. Plus we've had great guests, uh, particularly yesterday, Jonathan Otto, who I didn't know, who one of my, uh, my, my secret friends, you know, in the background, the behind the scenes folks that uh, help us out here um, brought Jonathan Otto to my attention. And this guy's a humanitarian. He's uh, he's a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker. He does, uh, he's an investigative journalist and all kinds of stuff on COVID and health and health cures. And he's a biblical scholar. And it was just a fascinating hour yesterday. So I'm happy. I've done my week's work. Now I get to play. It's Friday. Yeah. Sounds like you've been busy. I am. So I like so my what job. Talk about... <laughs> that? I like my job. Oh, there you go. That's all it takes. It's not a job if you like it, right? If you enjoy yeah. your job, it's not work. Yep, this is never um, been work, even though it's, I spend all my time doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's say just a refresher that DC Project is a nationwide group of women defending our Second Amendment, establishing relationships with legislators, and uh, we believe that education is the key to safety. We don't need more gun controls, but we're going to be talking about what's been happening on that, especially with assault weapons bans. Um, oh, let's use a correct terminology. Let's, 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 well, let's call no, it, just, the, the, can we call it the freedom rifle ban? 
<laughs> yeah, you can call it whatever you want, but I'm just calling it what you're going to see in in the news and stuff. I mean, yeah, I, that it, makes it, sense. It, yeah, we all know that weapons weapons do not assault anybody. It's the people that are doing the assaulting. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are we are a grassroots group, and uh, we we do a lot of. Our, we raise money by fundraising, so we can go to the state capitol once a year. All the state directors go there, and each state goes to their own state capitol, which we will be doing that this year as I'm the Florida state director. Mm. So we have different events coming up. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll be in Daytona at the Rolex 24 with a vendor table. So if you're there, come check us out. Uh, March 11th, Clays for Freedom. It's a sporting clays event down here in Naples. And also, DC Project has been nominated for the Gundy's Award, uh, where you can vote there for us. The top voices for 2A is um, where we're, we are. So you go there, you can vote every day, once a day. Wow. So please go out and vote. And you can go to com. And that's where you place your votes. So we'd appreciate the that if you support the, the Gundy. <laughs> this is I don't, like the I don't know how that the, the, came about. Oh, this is know, great. So it's a gun award for uh, who sponsored it? Is Second Amendment Foundation or Gun Owners of America? Or where, do you know where this started? I don't have all the background on that. I know um, uh, Jerry Mitchell won different awards there. I believe mm-hmm. Diana Mueller won an award last year. Mm. Uh, so there's different categories from influencer to in, uh, firearms instructor, uh, best shooters. So there's a whole Do bunch they have, of categories. Uh, best citizen legislation because I got a bunch of gun bills I'd like to submit. No, they don't have that one. <laughs> but there's I think there's 15 different categories. And well, like don't I said, they have you that can one? Vote every day. Sure, they need your help. I have no idea what the deal is on that. Okay, well, if you give me a so, contact person, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll show, uh, point out that maybe next year we can have best citizen legislation uh, for to counteract the uh, the oppressive government, you know, seizures of our rights and property. Ooh, I like that title. Write that down. <laughs> that <laughs> write good. that down quick. That was a long one too. <laughs> well, no, it's, this is why we do podcasts. So, all, so, so when it, when these these moments of brilliance happen for for you and me, you know, at least it's recorded. Because, you know, they don't happen twice. They just kind of come out and say, oh, at least it's podcast. Okay, fine. There we go. <laughs> okay. Um, so then every time on my uh, segment here, I do talk about any, a newsworthy story where someone uses a firearm to defend their lives or the lives of others. And mm-hmm. it's called Teal for 2A. And I post it on Tuesday. So it's hashtag Teal for 2A Tuesday. Yay. Uh, also, DC Projects colors are teal, so that's all combined into one. It all wraps around DC Projects. Mm-hmm. And this week we have a tow truck. Wow, I can't even say that. A tow truck driver in Detroit. So a hmm. towing company got a call about a junk car that someone wanted to be wanted to remove. It was 9:30 Monday morning, the day after Christmas. The driver of the flatbed wrecker pulled up to the address about seven and a half miles northeast of downtown Detroit. The driver got out of his truck, looked for a vehicle owner. Temperature was below freezing in the mid-teens and with light winds. This article is written really well. It's from Ammoland, so mm-hmm. they do a good job. Well, yeah, Ammoland's good folks, yeah. A stranger waved at the tow truck 
tow truck driver and walked up to him. The driver asked if the stranger had a car for sale. The stranger nodded, reached into his pocket. Instead of pulling out a set of keys, the stranger took a handgun out of his pocket. Hmm. The attacker pointed his gun at the driver and told him to empty his pockets. Now, the driver faced several problems. problems. One was the attacker who had a gun already pointed at him. The other problem, the concealed carry pistol license in his, in his wallet and the handgun in his holster. His news reports weren't clear how the driver was able to reach under his coat and present his firearm. Witnesses report that the driver shot between six and eight times. Police reports do not indicate that the attacker was able to fire his gun at all. Firearms instructor, instructor Rick Ector teaches and carries in Detroit. A heavy coat slows down your presentation. It also masks your presentation. Quoting Ector, heavy coats are common. Sometimes I carry in my jacket pocket. I assume I'll have to shoot through the coat so I don't buy expensive coats. Now, just the, Rick Ector does this big thing at uh, one one day a year, and he trains thousands of women in the Detroit area. Yeah, you're telling me about just, this. I remember from before. Just, just yeah, to interesting. throw that in there real quick. Yeah, um, yeah. This is something you got to think about also if you are up north. You know, down here we have problems concealed carrying because we don't have a whole lot to conceal it with. Up there, mm-hmm. they have to wear jackets, and it's below zero where this um, tow truck driver is. So yeah, carrying in the winter in Florida is easier when you get a little bit of cooler weather. You throw that extra shirt on, you know. But I've carried regularly with just a polo shirt and, or, or a t-shirt or, or something. You know, you just have to get them long, <laughs> make them a little longer. Long and long and baggy. That's not not usually what the women like to wear. But yeah, that's all you have to do is get a little baggier clothes. But yeah. that, that is something you get you think about if you are carrying up north. You know, mm-hmm. practice that dry fire. Practice how you're going to draw out from under your coat. Um, so let's see, where are we here? Oh, so the driver stepped back, called 911. He very, sounds like he's so calm and cool and collected. So (laughs) did neighbors in the area who heard the gunfire. It appears the driver stayed at the scene. The driver spoke to the police when they arrived. He also showed them his identification as concealed pistol license. So he's doing everything right, staying there, presenting the police with everything. Mm-hmm. Since there was a report of shots fired, of course, 911 dispatcher rolled out the emergency medical services to the scene. They transported the attacker to the hospital in critical condition, and he died a few hours later. Hmm. Now, the reporters interviewed the neighbors. They recognized the attacker and said he lived in the area, and they said they did not blame the driver for defending himself. To quote one neighbor, you have to get those crooks off the street one way or another. The neighbor refused, of course, to let his name be published. I don't blame him there. No. Uh, but this is this is this is really interesting on tow truck drive tow truck. Wow, tow truck driver. <laughs> Take two. And the this, company. This is, this is your this is your your word trouble. <laughs> this is your word soup for exactly. a day. Exactly. Yeah. Trying to say tow truck driver. It's like toy boat. So, can you say toy boat? Yeah. Toy boat. I can say toy you boat. Say it three times tow, fast. Tow, tow, tow truck <laughs> is a little different. But anyhow, these companies <laughs> are going to go with that. Uh, said that they had rules against their drivers going armed. Mm-hmm. The companies feared being named in a civil suit if the driver had to defend himself. They were worried about a lawsuit more than their equipment being stolen or their drivers being injured. All the towing companies that were interviewed 
said that their drivers had a dangerous job since they went to all parts of the city at all hours of the day and night. And that's something you give them a dangerous job, but they don't want them to be able to defend themselves. This is the point I wanted to bring up, and I was hoping you were going to address this, and you did, uh, the fact that most of these companies, delivery drivers, uh, you know, FedEx, UPS, uh, food delivery, Grubhub, you know, uh, pizza delivery, Chinese food delivery, all these folks that have delivery jobs, you know, go to places – you know, that are, are, are not the best. And it happens, there was a, either FedEx or UPS driver that had to uh, defend themselves with a firearm, and I think they were fired for carrying one, you know, even though they saved the life, uh, saved their own life, you know, uh, and, and saved whatever, you know, I'm not worried about property so much, but the fact is they defended their life, saved their life, did the right thing. They weren't convicted or charged with anything, but the company fired them anyway for carrying a firearm. And so this is, this is then they're more worried about the liability. They're more worried about the money. See, employees are expendable. And this is something that's, that's really kind of uh, horrible. We need to have some kind of a, a Second Amendment at work, something. I'm not sure where, you want to, where we can go with this. We should talk further about this. That you don't get, and we've talked about this before. You don't give up your rights when you go to work. So companies you know, could, should not, cannot require you to give up your Second Amendment right at work. doesn't mean you can go displaying your gun and show everybody things like that. I mean, there are guidelines. But the fact that they can deny delivery drivers you know, the ability to, to carry a concealed firearm uh, when they're out in the public, is, is insane. And, and, and the only reason they do that is they're more worried about the liability and the money. They don't give a damn about the life of the driver. Drivers are replaceable. Well, that's wrong. You know? So, so, so there's, there's a huge issue. This is a DC project issue too. You know, carrying at work, do companies have the right to prevent you from exercising a self-defense right? Not just any right. We're not talking about screaming at the top of your lungs on top of your desk that, that I am God or whatever it is you want to scream. You know, that's different. You can go scream somewhere else. But the fact is, self-defense has to be exercised at the time it's needed. It's not convenient. You know, most of the rights we have are con- free speech is a convenient right. You can exercise it in a lot of different places, a lot of different ways. You know, but uh, self-defense has to be exercised when it's needed. And so you can't, you can't stop that. So any thoughts on that as far as work goes? Something you want to take on? Something I want to take on? You know, that this no, but I, that you, you're going to love this because another thing I was going to talk about, because uh-huh. the Second Amendment is being attacked all over the place. Um, big mm-hmm. states that are, are big in this right now, Illinois and Colorado are a couple of them. Um, mm-hmm. But in, in Colorado, because I read this and I was just like, you got to be kidding me. So in Colorado, this, this is all comes to, because we have state directors need them. So they, we report, they do reports in this, um, the software that we have. So I'm mm-hmm. going to share this because this is a gun violence prevention caucus. Oh, yes. I know who those folks are. Um, So here's the four things that they're going for. Uh, Their number one priority is, of course, the so-called assault weapons ban. Mm -hmm. The number two is they want to do background check requirements for all ammunition purchases. (laughs) They want to get their red flag law. Mm -hmm. And then this is this is like a I, I just blown away by this one. Private property rights will be under attack as well as expanding the ability of county commissioners to regulate firearm use in rural areas. And I went, oh my yeah. gosh. So now yeah. the county commissioners are going to tell you how what you can do on your property. That that <laughs> just kind of kind of floored me there. But just to let people under, have to understand, because lot, lots of times you hear, oh, they can't, they can't you know, take away our Second Amendment rights. They're chipping away at your rights, period. And this is just a fine example of that. Um, 
Well, so, they can't. They can't take your rights away, but they can prevent you from exercising them. So that's probably a, a clearer way to express it, because they don't. Yeah, the, the, your, your rights still exist. The Constitution still exists. The Second Amendment has not been amended. It has not been, you know, ratified by two thirds of the Congress and three quarters of the states. The Second Amendment still says exactly what it said when it was ratified. It hasn't been changed one bit. What's changed is, is court interpretations, which are illegal because courts can't interpret. They can only take the law as it's written. Uh, and the idea of these of these statutory, and we've talked about this before, the statutory law that touches your right to own and carry, which is an absolute right. We have an absolute right to to own and carry firearms, keep and bear, and the government cannot touch it. That is the supreme law of the land. So anytime a law comes up that does touch in any way your right to own and carry or keep and bear is categorically and automatically unconstitutional because it is subordinate to the Constitution being statutory law as opposed to constitutional law. And that argument is never made. But to me, that's the clearest expression. Gun control is statutory. Gun control that touches your right to keep and bear is automatically unconstitutional because it's statutory law under the Constitution, which is the supreme law. And the courts are under that too. Could it be more clear? Is there any way I can express that more simply, more clearly, Charlie? Apparently you're not expressing that to the right people because they keep coming at us. No, well, that raises an interesting question. So here's so huh? here's the well that raises an interesting question. The people still see this this law will will deprive people of their rights for as long as this law exists. The Illinois law, let's just say the Illinois law. So as long as it exists, people are losing part of their life. See the time that you have alive. You know, if the government takes away your rights for anything, you know, for however long they take it away, they've taken part of your life. They've taken, you know, the, the uh, quote, assault weapons ban that, con- that uh, Congress passed for 10 years, which is blatantly unconstitutional, took away people's gun rights for 10 years. There was a deprivation of rights. There was an oppression of rights of what it says in Title 18, Section 241, the, the, uh, the exercise and enjoyment. So, the, so by Section, uh, you should read this law. It's really great. Title 18, Section 241 talks about suppressing a conspiracy to suppress the exercise or enjoyment of any constitutional right is a felony. It comes with a jail term and a massive fine. So all these legislators, and there's no exemption for government in this. So all these legislators that are conspiring to suppress our constitutional rights, the exercise and enjoyment of them, are guilty of violating Title 18, Section 241, and they can be imprisoned and fined for it. So what we really need to start doing, and I'm hoping the DC Project will pick this up too, is that we need to start punishing people for consistently violating our rights when they know that it's categorically and automatically unconstitutional anyway. But there's no penalty for, for creating laws that violate our rights, and that's what we need to change. No, there, there are penalties out there. There's penalties out there. I mean, how do you expect this to, to make any, any headway when you have blatant things being done by the president, Biden's son, and no one ever gets prosecuted for things? Things are out there, but they don't get prosecuted. That it's like everywhere. So with this, I mean, it's, it's all good and great, but in reality, are they going to, would they even entertain it or even look at it? You know, if they're not looking at the big things, this, you know, compared to, well, I'm not saying this isn't big, but you see what I'm saying? They're not even, they're not even making people accountable for things that are blatant in this society right now. Just like well, this guy here in this story, um, they knew of him. You know, he wasn't he wasn't an angel. He, he had d- done some other criminal things, and 
but the prosecution is, oh, well, we'll take him in, they get arrested, police bring him in, then they let him out. And so the police are like, well, what's the point of bringing him in? You're just going to let him out the next day. And then they commit exactly. the same crime, and then they get to have this one-on-one relationship. And it's just, I don't understand. It, what We need to get to, to the point where the legalities, the legal portion of crimes are held, making them held accountable. Because otherwise, I mean, if you take more of the criminals off the street, there's going to be less crime. It's not the guns. They're, they're going for the guns instead of the actual person pressing the trigger. Well, I don't care about the, the trigger. Crime. They're not doing this. For, they talk about, you know, gun violence and crime prevention. They're not doing that. They're doing it for compliance, to make people, you know, uh, subservient to government even further. It's, it's a removal of your freedom, one of the greatest freedoms we have. Exactly. I, wrote a, I wrote an article on this years ago that uh, it is essential for your freedom to have firearms. That is the implement of your freedom. That is the means by which you defend yourself against the guns that government has. That is the ultimate think, uh, implement of freedom. And I think the most important thing that we can do right now is get people to understand that. There's a, out of all the, there was a statistic put out by NRA out of the um, gun owners, like 6% are mm-hmm. active in Second Amendment uh, pers- um, groups that preserving the Second Amendment, 6%. Mm-hmm. So voices need to be heard. People need to stand up, get, in, get involved, and so the government can hear what's going on and hear what we believe and, and see that we back oh, the Second Amendment. They know Amendment. what we believe. They just don't care. No, this is well, why if you I, only I have believe- 6% of the population that owns a firearm actively um, backing the Second Amendment, that's, that's not really telling them. I mean, they bought the gun, but are they backing the right and the Second Amendment rights that go along with it? Mm-hmm. No, I you agree know, with you. If you have yeah. more people, I, I think it's, it's, it's like the squeaky wheel. The squeaky wheel gets, gets all the attention. Well, the squeaky mm-hmm. wheel has all the money in the anti-gun group. You know, we're, we're just like we're volunteers. We don't get paid for what we do, and we work Well, why don't we have the, the money? Uh, where do you get the money from? Is it, is it legal money or is it illegal money? Who? You know, where is that money coming from? If it's, you know, you talk about George Soros, who's, who's bankrolling uh, district attorneys. You know, the, the idea of people giving private contributions, uh, I would limit, I would severely limit. You know, if, if you want to spend money on behalf of somebody, go ahead, spend all the money you want. If you're a group, you want to spend, you know, you're the Sierra Club, you want to spend money on behalf of someone that believes your theories, great. But you can't give money directly. You know, and this is, this is part of the problem, too. There's, there's a whole campaign issue. But there's another problem, and that is the, the gun groups themselves. You know, and I, I mentioned, we were talking earlier about uh, that you're, you're going to a, a gun festival, and, and they're going to have awards. And there's no award for the best legislation. There's no award for the strongest you know, pro-gun bill. There's no award for the, the, the best campaign to stop these people. There's no award for the best investigation of where the money comes from. There's a lot of things that, uh, that the, the, you know, our, our own gun groups could do, and that includes DC Project, could do to make a stronger position. But they don't. They don't adopt our, our citizen legislation. They don't you know, look for the investigations of where the money comes from. It's, it's always the defensive. There's no offense. There's no pro-gun offense that people can latch on to, and I think that's one of the biggest problems. That's why I do this show. We're on the offense. Well, I and mean, keep doing the show. You're doing a great job, no doubt. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, I can pat myself on the back, but the point is I want the other groups to be on the offensive. You know, where are the groups, you know, talking about um, tax deductions and credits for, for firearms and ammunition? Where are the groups that say that, uh, you know, gun confiscation is racism? 
because you're, you're depriving, you know, marginalized people of their self-defense rights, their access to quality firearms and ammunition. I mean, I've got a whole host of, of rhetorical things that could be used out there that would, would make, uh, that would turn all these campaigns around, but they don't do it. They reinforce their own stuff and they, they react to the assault, quote, assault weapon ban uh, by even calling it an assault weapons ban. I mean, I know you do it for, for the specific reason of convention, so people know what you're talking about, because that's what the bill says. But where are the gun groups to say, well, it's not. That's not what it is. You're taking away our freedom. Oh, we say it's that. A freedom we, ban. We say that. All, no, no, I'm, I'm going to call you on that one. We say that okay. all the time. Anytime we're talking, we try to, co- to correct the vocabulary that gets out there. The weapons, weapons of war, the um, West, all that stuff. We, we do. When we speak, okay, we, we don't use those words. We explain to That's the education part. We're trying to okay. educate people. The media uses these, the vocabulary to scare them, to make things sound worse than they are. And they do. And, and then it becomes so automatic. Just here in town, one of our delegates here, the sheriff's office wrote something happened and they called it an assault weapon. And she called them on that. And they answered back. The PR person says, you are absolutely right. We will be more hmm. cautious of that. So oh, glad, you're, gl- glad to be wrong in this but, case then. Yeah, this is good. This is yeah, good but we're, you know, we're just a little drop. We're, we're having that little drop in the ocean hasn't ripple affected. I mean, we're a small yeah. group. We, you know, we're just new. When you look at six years, that's a new group. We're still, you know, we're, we're expanding, we're growing and we're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting to the point where we're, we're having, you know, looking at bills and writing bills and stuff like that. And we're going to be working with you. So it just takes time, you know, yeah. it, it's oh, not know. Yeah. and especially if you're working with volunteers with um, donation money, because these people, these women all have jobs, they're mothers, they're, they're workers, they're grandmothers. <laughs> so, because sometimes yeah, no, I I'm, kind of go, oh, oh my gosh, I mean, you, it just seems like yeah. I spend so much time on it. Where'd my time go? And I still don't feel like I accomplished everything that I needed. So we need to buy. DC time. Project's not the problem. <laughs> when, I, when I think of the problem, I think of, of uh, the big gun groups, particularly the NRA, which makes millions and millions of dollars. They're basically a fundraising organization. You know, they could, they could do grants to DC Project. They could do grants to uh, us. Heritage Foundation, another huge you know, think tank that rakes in millions upon millions of dollars and does nothing, you know, substantive with it. They could be donating to this. You know, it's the small, the new groups where all the action is, Action Radio, DC Project. So, uh, like I say, I'm glad to be wrong that uh, that you guys are saying the right things, but it's not coming from, you know, we need the bigger sources. It needs to come from, you know, the major media. And I I think it'd be interesting to trace where the money comes from. You know, who, I mean, we know Bloomberg funds all the Bloomberg stuff, and he's a multi-billionaire, but we need a conservative multi-billionaire you know, to be uh, funding the groups like DC Project, like some of the other groups that are doing the right stuff. You know, people need to be reading exactly. Amazon and some of those other things. Yeah, yeah. Change the rhetoric. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, the way to the way to do that, and I think uh, the way to do that is for people that like-minded, like us, are getting into office, whether it be in like NRA or or other large groups like that, and even mm-hmm. in politics because we do have some, some ladies that ran um, and got into office. So if you don't like what's being done, it's time to get out there and stir things up and run for office. We had someone else that just, uh, I forget, she she just got elected for something. I just read it, but I can't remember where it was. Um, so, 
Yeah, and and so when when elections come around for the NRA board, you know, take a look at the people that are running. Uh, I do know a man. We have a delegate or a regional director, and I think she's a state director too. And she's on the advisory board. You know Amanda Suffolk. Yeah. She's yep. running. She's running to uh, for the board on the NRA. Oh, that's um, good. Eric. Eric's running too. Um, that we just talked about. Um, oh. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Greg. Help me out. Eric. Uh, the guy that Detroit. does the big uh, class. Rick Hector. Hector not yeah. Eric. Okay. Yeah. So he's right. running, too. He's on the board. He's running for the board. Well, so good. people like that can make changes. And I think that that's where we're, you know, we got to start somewhere. And that's a good starting point. So yeah. if you're voting, if you're an NRA member and you're going to vote for the board, take a look at who you're voting for. Don't just vote. Just to vote, vote, and know your your candidates. Yeah, I kind of left yeah, the NRA behind a few years ago. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, it's good to hear. Like I said I love it when I'm wrong for the right reasons. <laughs> you know, the fact that the, the the language is trying to be changed right, and folks are doing. Well, hmm? I'm going to correct that. You're right and wrong. You are right. There's there's a lot of bigger organizations that should and could be doing that, and but for us, we're just we you know. We're, we're doing. We're, we're working at it. We're getting there. Trust me, we will. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. Because actually, I am, that. I am on the information that you sent me. I'm actually working on putting together a a bill, and then going to talk to you about it. But that got Ooh. put by the wayside. Everything else that's coming up that I have to deal yeah. with. Um, get done. <laughs> yeah, life does so, get in the way of our <laughs> activism. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd be excited if you if you have a bill that's uh, that you're working on. That's great, and especially you know if it can go through DC Project. Whether is it a state bill or or federal or both or what? I'm gonna start state. Okay. I'm gonna start small, work my way up, see where it goes. Why not? You know. Okay. Just like yeah. um, there's, there's yeah. So we, we'll we'll see. I mean, that's just my thoughts. That's just things flying around in my little head. So I'll talk to you about that when I get. So you've got great thoughts. Keep keep running with them. You're you're doing. And it's interesting. And speaking of uh, you know the folks I've gotten to know, the women in the DC Project are a unique group of gun owners, of activists, of with stories to tell, with reasons why they're doing it. You know, I, I think of like Wayne Penton Lapierre of the NRA. It's kind of like you know Second Amendment aristocracy. He feels like he's entitled to this position and anything he does with the, you know, what his money in the NRA is okay. But you folks, you're, you're like the, you know, like the Knights, you know, the Knights of the round table going out there and crusading and, uh, you know, doing some amazing things all over the country. So, so more power to it. And if you can start writing legislation that, uh, that gets into uh, the legislatures, you know, and starts and the media. So it's, it's a combination of things and we're all experimenting together. You know, no one has ever done citizen legislation. And of course the more of us who do this, the better. And we need to all help each other and promote each other and then go. That's, that's why I like having you on the show. You notice I don't have an NRA representative on the show or some of these other groups because they're not doing anything. And you guys are, you know, so that's why. Oh, anyway. I appreciate that. We, we yeah. are out there. We're, we're, we're trying to get our voices heard and, and mm-hmm. you know, and educate the legislators about what's going on out in the real yeah. world. And, um, so, yeah, we appreciate it, but we are sticking our, our toe in the water and looking at legislation and how we, mm-hmm. you know, how to write it and all that stuff. So I have seen some buzzing well, going around. This is the place. For 2023. <laughs> this, this is yeah, the worldwide so. center of citizen legislation of, of uh, you know, and I don't have all the answers. You know, and I start, which is what's interesting, and I was make the point that I started this about the same time probably DC Project got started. My first show, my first action radio show was March 1st, 2017 on WBY. 
and I'm coming up on my six year anniversary. You know, a year and a half there, there and uh, you know, five years here. Yeah. There we go. We're both young. We are. Yeah, we're pioneers. <laughs> we're both pioneers. You know, who didn't? I didn't. I didn't. You know, plan to be uh, an action radio host and create something never been done before. I don't think you planned on being, you know, an activist chair for a Second Amendment a group. You know, but uh, it needs to be done. So you know, we see the need, we leap and we do it, and uh, get as many people to join us as possible. It's kind of cool, actually. Right, right. Yeah. That, that well, you'll have true. no regrets, you know, uh, no matter what happens in life, you know, once you're an advocate, once you've, you've done, you know, the, the good work, uh, as I call it, you never have a regret. You never, you never regret doing the right thing. And so whatever happens, whatever choices, whatever, anything else, you can, you know, you can always say that, hey, um, I was there. I was in the arena. Did you ever see the, uh, just because I don't even have to go soon, the, uh, the quote, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt, and it talks about the man in the arena. Look that up. You're the woman in the arena. You know, you're, you're not just talking, you're doing, you know, and whether you succeed or whether you fail, you're in there, you're in the competition, you're in the fight, you're doing what has to be done. You're taking on, uh, you know, almost like Don Quixote, impossible challenges and making them possible. And so that's what DC Project's doing. You can take a look at that thing because, you know, the, he wrote it for men because Teddy wrote it was 100 years ago, but uh, it applies, it applies equally to women. If you're in the, you're either in the arena or not, you're a spectator or you're a participant. Arena. Men in the arena. So yeah. By Roosevelt, a quote by him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's a speech by I'll him, but there's, there's one paragraph that everybody quotes, and it, uh, I put it in the uh, our Action Radio Mind Project periodically and things like that. But it'd be a great thing, you know, to sort of read and, and share around uh, DC Project, the man in the arena. I just just call it the woman in the arena. <laughs> no, it's sort of adapted to the DC Project. <laughs> yep. Well, you are right. I do have to go. I do have to educate some people on firearm safety. And mm-hmm. That's teach a good them thing. and show them some cool stuff on how fun it is to be able to defend yourself. Um, yeah. So I'm yeah. going to, if you don't have any other questions, I'm going to go ahead and do my little closing here and get out to the range. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you so, have students want to come on the air and talk about their experiences, even if they want to come anonymously, that'd be fun. That'd be really interesting. So there's an option well, for I you too. I might be able to come get them anonymously because a lot of them don't don't want to be. You know, they don't want. Want others to know things for No, they shouldn't. No, that's perfectly fine. fine. You know, you and I are public. Yeah. We're public figures. That that that, uh, that goes with all the you know, that goes with. But uh, yeah, I'm always curious because that'd be inspiring to a lot of other people too. I think. But that was it. Yeah, Thank you for a great one. report. Okay. And and right, I, I so love when you challenge me. <laughs> it's like Jim Dice. It's like Friday's like this is, okay. This is a day to disagree with me. <laughs> he did it all the time. It was yeah, great that, fun. That, that's funny. As soon as I said those words, that's, it's like, oh, it's a Jim, it's a Jim Dyke spirit coming out. <laughs> exactly. That, see uh, the influence he had? That's a good thing. It is. He is. I do, I do miss having him on the show. But anyway, yeah, so um, real quickly, if anyone's interested in getting more information about DC Project, making donations or, or becoming uh, delegates and working with us to preserve the Second Amendment, you can go to dcproject.info. I am the author of a book called Heels to Holster. I talk about my terrorizing event where some uh, domestic violence and how I recovered from that, exercising my Second Amendment rights. And you can get that on Amazon. That's Heels to Holster. And if you have any questions on fundraisers or anything else that we're doing, you can give me a call at 941-677-3377. And that's it for today. That's uh, my report for DC Project Women and Guns 
And this is Shirley signing off from Action Radio. Have a wonderful weekend. Oh, and I will be missing you guys the next two Fridays because unless I can get something, I can't, oh, no, next Friday I'll be on the plane. Okay. And then the following Friday I will be in Daytona. I'll see if we can do something in Daytona. It depends on how things work out and what. what I, that's all going to be a new thing. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting it's, to meet new people and to spread the word about the D.C. project and preserving our Second Amendment. So uh, for sure I won't be here next Friday, and I'll, it'll be a surprise call in the following Friday. If I can work it out, I will do that. That sounds good. Well, have fun, enjoy, and tell us all about it when you, when you do get back. Go get them. All right. Yeah. And happy Friday. Happy Friday the 13th. Just get a couple. Thank you, Shirley. Bye. All right. Bye now. So now we've got a little bit of a break between uh, now and when Derek is here. We'll be here at the bottom of the hour. And then we have uh, the whole you know, following hour. i got tons of articles. I, you know, I'll pick one. This is kind of like cleanup day where I take all the things that I have uh, um, you know, here on my computer, but uh, I always keep a lot of articles because you never know when somebody can't make it or an emergency happens or something something goes on. And, and there's just things I want to get to. So I want to finish up this week with my Dick Morris article. So it's a complete kind of like you know, I, I organized. So it's a complete week of, of, of thought. And I'll be right back um, in a little bit with, with more stuff uh, on uh, the Morris analysis. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, W-Y-L, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines.
This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Dangerously cool. See all the fun, fun things you can do when you learn radio production? <laughs> so, so those are, I got more, I got more in the works. We're going to have a, a great time. I was just texting madly away. Someone, uh, you know, one of my friends said, where can I find your show? And so I'm, I'm trying to type and, you know, push the buttons at the right time and, and see if I can get this all organized. But uh, yeah, we're, we're seven to 10, usually uh, six to nine on Fridays. And that's central time uh, every weekday. And here at blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Uh, our legislative website is writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. And to contribute to uh, uh, help us grow into uh, you know, a worldwide citizen legislative movement, givesendgo.com slash action radio. That's givesendgo.com slash action radio. So I was talking about uh, Dick Morris stuff, and like I say, I'm trying to finish uh, some of his articles. As we go through, let me see, don't wonder, energy, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk inflation again. Inflation is such a big um, deal right now. This is from an article from November 10, 2021, uh, Dick Morris. And if I can get these finished, then it'll be done again. It's uh, as fast. And then I want him on the show, you know, simply because I think he's one of the best analysts out there of both uh, uh, Marxist Democrats and established Republicans. And so he says, energy price inflation is Biden's goal. And this is from November 10th, uh, Dick Morris again, November 10th, 2021. He says, let's stop pretending that the increase in energy costs is an unintended consequence of other Biden's policies, uh, of either Biden's policies or global developments. It is, in fact, the goal of his policies. Yeah, his basic contention, and I agree, is that everything that the, the, the Brandon insurrection, the Mark Democrats and the establishment Republicans are doing, the, the, or as I call them, transgender Democrats, uh, is intentional. You know, it was intentional that they stole the election. It was intentional that they uh, put Brandon in power. It's intentional that they're doing everything to benefit them and nothing to benefit us. Everything in this is intentional. It's not an accident. So showing the problems is like taking a bank robber, you know, back to the bank where he, that he robbed and said, look what you did, and still letting him keep the money. <laughs> you know, that's what this is like. Anyway, he says, throughout Europe, energy prices are artificially inflated because of green taxes designed to drive up the price of fossil fuels to discourage driving. This may be the same as an article I read before. Maybe he's, he's restating himself. He's the same goal here. But how does Biden plan to handle the expected, oh, here we go, 30% increase in natural gas prices this winter, according to the Department of Energy? And this would have been last winter because this was written in 2021. He says, heat less, bring back Jimmy Carter wearing a sweater in his house and in, a national, uh, in national addresses. Is the sweater Biden's new symbol in addition to his omnipresent mask? 
<laughs> that what well, masks are coming back, which is really unfortunate because they don't work. Uh, they never did work. And it's interesting. I was looking at an article, uh, Kyle Becker uh, in his Substack was talking about the fact that the airlines, um, and once the airlines took away masks, the, you know, first of all, all every airliner has, has COVID on it because it's, because everybody's been exposed. And I told you this, you know, last two years, everybody's already been exposed to COVID. Everybody's either had it, uh, gotten immune to it or got a COVID jab and, and, you know, they have other problems associated with it, but everybody got it. Everybody, everybody was exposed to COVID. And so your immune system either took care of it, you got uh, care of it with no symptoms, took care of it with mild symptoms, took care of it with moderate symptoms, or you had really bad problems and you either got it, you know, taken care of with the, 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 the treatments or you went to the hospital and tragically, you know, people on the remdesivir ventilator death march died. You know, those are the alternatives, but, but everybody was exposed. Everybody wearing the masks now for something that everybody's already been exposed to is kind of ludicrous. And yet that's what they're doing. You know, so you, you don't prevent COVID, you, you, get, you become immune to it. You can't prevent it. Everybody's, every, you know, and airliners, they, this, I'll, I'll get this article for next week, but the airliners, every, they, they've tested uh, it's like 98, <laughs> 95, 98% airliners have COVID. You know, the COVID detectors, they, they, they make air COVID detectors, you know, because they know where it is. And so the idea of, but the thing is that the, the death rate, injury rate, COVID rate hasn't changed between when they wear masks and when they didn't wear masks. So the masks made absolutely no difference. So why would you wear masks if they don't make a difference? The answer is you don't. And yet, everybody wants to bring them back. It's kind of stupid, actually. But it's about control. It's always been about control. It's about compliance. Who are the good people? The good compliant people are wearing the masks. The bad independent people are saying this doesn't work. <laughs> you know, and, and we're, of course, right. Anyway, he says that uh, the drastic overall inflation numbers this week, and this would have been November 2021, 6.2% in consumer index, 8.5% in wholesale index are increasingly proving to buy something he appears not to know, that when you put your foot on that gas pedal, the car goes faster. Well, where have we heard that analogy before? Haven't I been saying? You know, I'm not trying to blow my own horn here, but it's, it's, it's uh, the, you know, one of the things that, that, that I've said here many, many times is that government borrowing is the accelerator of inflation and interest rates, raising interest rates is the brake. But standing on the accelerator and standing on the brake, you're not curing the problem. You know, you've got to take your foot off the accelerator because all that does is create smoking tires when you, you stand on both. <laughs> you ain't going anywhere, uh, but you're creating a lot of smoke. And that's exactly what the policy is designed to do. Not go anywhere, create a lot of smoke and uh, create inflation. He says Biden's continued huge spending really shows that the correlation has escaped him. No, it hasn't. His, or is his real approach different? Perhaps Biden is trying to solve inflation by outrunning it. And this is where it gets interesting. It's a short article, actually. Suppose it says the price increases themselves. Uh, I mean, let me just start again. You know, or is his real approach different? This is what I believe too. Perhaps Biden is trying to solve inflation by outrunning it by having incomes outrace in prices. That's a no-win proposition. He says stagflation. The price increases themselves constrain economic growth by squeezing the supply chain so that the in- incomes can never keep pace with the prices. Our racing inflation becomes like a dog chasing its tail, and that's true. You know, all they're doing is raising prices, raising inflation, raising spending, raising borrowing, raising payments to people. But it doesn't look like, you know, that, uh, that there's a problem making more and more people dependent on government, which brings me to the next article I found, which says 37% of Americans are immune from inflation. That's over a third. That's a lot of people, <laughs> okay, considering that uh, and a few of those above aren't, aren't even paying income tax. So most of the people that get hit are the 49% of the people that pay most of the income taxes and, and uh, you know, buy most of the stuff. This is November 28th, 2022, so a couple months ago. 
He says, question, why was inflation not more of an issue in the recent election? Good question. Why did Democrats escape a lot of the blame for sky-high price hikes? Let's do a quick check of something here. Let's make sure. Okay, we're good. Um, he says, the elderly and those on fixed incomes typically feel the impact of inflation most severely. But cost-of-living adjustments, called COLAs, a cost-of-living adjustment, shielded the elderly from the impact of inflation. Even though prices rose by 9% in 2022, their incomes also rose by 9% at the end of the year. While the elderly blanched at rising prices throughout the year and had to lay out money to pay for them over the nine months of 2022, at the end of the year, a few weeks before the election, they got a big fat, they got big fat checks from the Social Security Administration reimbursing them for inflation. Other federal benefits are also indexed inflation, such as disability payments, food stamps, Medicare, and Medicaid reimbursement. These core Democrat constituencies did not feel the inflation of 2022 nearly as much as the rest of us did, and as a direct result, didn't vote to turn out the Democrat benefactors. Let me say that again. This is, this is what really explains the midterm. This is why the Republicans didn't do a good job, you know, because they didn't point this out. You know, they, they should, um, you know, it, 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 and I don't know how you reach those groups. To, that's the problem I need to work on. But how do you reach people unless you uh, literally cut back on that and don't give the cost of living adjustment and say, you know, so they feel inflation like everybody else does? Well, that's not quite fair. But the problem is that uh, the government's still creating the inflation. But you have to convince people, you know, either you end, re, you know, redo or, or say, look, you're not going to get a cost of living increase. You know, stop indexing these things to inflation and we won't have as much inflation. Yeah, cruel, harsh, maybe. <laughs> but you're giving people something that other people aren't getting. So it's actually unconstitutional. If you index um, government benefits or, or entitlements or, or, things that, uh, or things we paid into, I don't know what you call that, you know, Social Security, uh, I mean, it's good index inflation so Social Security people can keep up. But the bad part about indexing is that everybody else, you know, who, who's out of job, you know, working in a private company or a non-government company that doesn't have an automatic increase, they're, they're the ones who are paying for inflation because their incomes remain stable as prices increase. That's where the effect is. But there's not enough of those folks to overturn the 37% you know, people who voted for, for the Democrats uh, simply because they, they got their, their benefits. They got their inflation covered. It's pretty scary. He says other federal benefits are also indexed for inflation, such as disability payments, food stamps. I read that. Okay. Likewise, with unionized private sector uh, workers, most of whom were protected COLAs, in other words, cost of living adjustments, also some paychecks were shielded from inflation. Yeah, union contracts. This is actually private unions I don't care. Private unions can negotiate anything they want, but if they have, they have cost of living adjustments, inflation goes up, cost of living goes up, pay goes up. Well, that makes sense. That's a good thing to negotiate. The private government union, yeah, not so much. Uh, we'll talk about that later too. He says, in fact, we begin to understand more easily why the Democrats found inflation to be not much of a problem, and indeed, many have seen it as a political opportunity. Interesting. The other 63% of Americans without cold cost of living protection were left awash in a deep sea of inflation. But the Democrat Party took care of its own, affording islands of protection through cost of living adjustments. Well, actually through borrowing. They did it through borrowing, which created more inflation. So their cure for inflation is inflation. So the, the Inflation Adjustment, the Inflation Reduction Act brought more inflation. It's, 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 it's an inherent contradiction, the Marxian dialectic. There it is. He says the worse inflation became, the more, value, the more valuable the COLAs were. And Many of these constituencies came to celebrate inflation as their benefits rose at year's end. That's interesting. What damage inflation inflicted on the economy 
uh, savings shrank, productivity was imperiled, investments were destroyed, and debtors triumphed while lenders lost out. But the Democrats felt no pain from big spending, growing deficits, and a crushing national debt. Like a, de- like a dentist patients who, on Novocaine, do not feel his drill, they happily benefited from government spending and borrowing with no pain. There was no political incentive to curb inflation and even some incentive to accelerate it. So there you go. You want to know why there's more inflation? Dick Morris said it as plainly as I've ever seen. There was no political incentive to curb inflation and even some incentive to accelerate it. He says the analysis, the analysis below, generously provided by Rick Manning and Rob Romano of Americans for Limited Government, we can get them on the show, shows how widespread colas are throughout the government benefits. Information on the number of Americans on government programs who receive cost of living adjustments. 57 million seniors, uh, let me see, it says there are 57 million seniors, but about 57 million collect Social Security and Medicare, which include COLA adjustments. Another 5.6 million are either early retirees or young survivors who also collect Social Security. He's got, and he's got a bunch of stats here. Let's see how many of these I can get through. Uh, there are 89, 89.9 million, almost 90 million Americans who receive Medicaid, and that also includes COLAs. So if you have 57 million, uh, almost 50, 50, excuse me, 53 million on Social Security, how do you have 80 million on Medicaid? That's interesting. Didn't know. So million are seniors and also included in the above 54 million. Okay. 40.9 million are children. Well, that's interesting, too. 12 million receive Social Security benefits because of a disability. He says, bottom line, there are 99.6 million, let's say 100 million adults who are some, who are some form of public assistance that get COLAs, cost of living adjustments, as part of the benefit. If you include children who are also COLA-based, uh, who are on COLA-based programs, the number rises to 137.8 million. Yeah, that's, for your, that's your 37% of the country. It's all 40%. Damn near half, right? There are still some overlaps not accounted for here. For example, early retirees who might have collected Medicaid too, uh, too but that, you know, anyway, says for adults, that constitutes 37% of the working age population that received COLA-adjusted public assistance. 40, 37% of the working age population received COLA-adjusted public assistance. That's huge. And that's why they, you know, people don't care about inflation so much. So they want more government spending. You know, and I don't know how to – that's a different question. Uh, I'll ask, uh, let's see if I, I'll put that down on my little list of things to ask him here, is how do you combat cost of living adjustments, uh, which are good for people so they can afford inflation, but they're bad because they don't feel inflation. If they don't feel inflation, they don't vote against it. That's an interesting question. I don't know the answer to that one. I'm going to check live check here, live chat, see if anybody's uh, checked in on live chat to help me with that. Nope. Wait, you think it's Friday? I don't talk here? <laughs> uh, I'm into my 7 o'clock hour. This is when we usually do things. So I'll cover Cover that. Let's get you a new one here. Let's talk about encouraging the border surge. So this is from uh, Newsmax, where uh, Dick Morris appears. This is like Dick Morris week. I'll be done with it after uh, after today. I'll, I'll I'll bring him back. But uh, it's fascinating here. A little older article, March March fifteenth, twenty twenty one. He talks about uh, Dick Morris to Newsmax TV. Biden Dems deliberately encourage border surge. Again, they love illegal aliens. This is part of the plan. This is by design. It's not accident. And to them, it's not a problem. So bringing people to see something they see, perceive as a benefit is not going to change the situation. Morris says, former presidential... Oh, is, no, this is... I guess they're writing about what he said. Former presidential advisor Dick Morris Newsmax TV on Monday that Joe Biden and the Democrats see the surge of illegal aliens... I'm changing the words, okay? ...at the southern border as an opportunity and are deliberately encouraging the situation as a means of creating a permanent electoral 
majority. Now, you've heard that before, but he's just saying it outright. I mean, the whole idea, the aliens are here to create a permanent electoral majority. In other words, they win all the elections. Right? He says, you're calling it a problem. I'm not sure Biden sees it as a problem, Morris said. You know, he sees it as something he's got to address, a public relations problem. But the Democrats basically see illegal immigration as an opportunity. It's not that they find it's not that uh, they can't find a way to stop it. They want it because they want the votes. And you thought it was illegal to vote unless you were a citizen. <laughs> Good news for you. Uh, it is, but it's still being done. He's, the article says, let's see who wrote this. Uh, written by, we don't know. Uh, it's by, I guess it's Newsmax TV. I guess it's a, they're, they're collective. They're not identifying a person. He says, Morris, who was an advisor to both then-Presidents Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. Interesting, right? <laughs> that alone is interesting. <laughs> he advises Clinton and Donald Trump. He was referring to a recent election passed by House Democrats, which he noted would allow convicted felons to vote and reduce the time for immigrants to become citizens and eligible to vote. He says, I think Biden is deliberately encouraging illegal immigration. Uh, he's willing to take the flack for a few months of people at the border and maybe even kids in cages and stuff because his goal is to create, increase dramatically, the number of illegal, I'm going to say aliens in the U.S. On Wednesday, this has been, you know, when the articles were written, you know, November 2021. On Wednesday, U.S. Customs and Border Protection reported that 100,441 people tried to cross the border illegally in February, the first full month of the, the bride, I'm going to say the Brandon insurrection, a 28% increase over January. Now, of course, we know it's gotten much worse. He says more than 9,500 unaccompanied children came to the border in February, a 62% above January. Well, see, I wouldn't allow anybody in the country ever who, who abandoned their kids and just sent them, you know, sent their minor children into this country, just sent them. <laughs> you know, if you're that irresponsible of a parent, then you can't come into the country. You should never be allowed in as an immigrant. You know, and all those people should need to be recorded and fingerprinted and checked and categorized and cataloged so that when they do try to come in, you know, we can match and say, were you a good person? Or a bad person? Do we, are you a desirable person? Or are you an undesirable who just ships your kids to the United States with you? That's a problem, right? Anyway, he says, Biden sent, ha, signed half a dozen executive orders on his first day in office on January 20th, reversing Trump administration immigration policies, which Republicans say have resulted in a dramatic increase of those attempting to cross the border illegally. Well, not only crossing the border illegally, they're coming here and they're staying. And the geldings, you know, once again, are not addressing the problem. They keep focusing on the border. Well, the border's not the problem. The real problem is all the uh, illegal aliens that are throughout the country. So how are you going to get rid of them? They don't talk about that. You can close the border now, and there's still millions of people that can't be here. So what are you going to do about them? Well, of course, the answer is civil forfeiture. You know, he sees their property, bank accounts, money, uh, sees everything, that, and anybody that's, that's hosting them, take their stuff, and you go th- and, and take the, the assets of the companies that are employing them, take the assets of the charities that are supporting them, you know, charities and all those folks, you seize all the assets of anybody that's involved in the illegal alien industry, and you will stop it. Because it'll be impossible for the Ill- illegal aliens to live here, and it's impossible for people to keep their stuff if they're helping illegal aliens. It's a very simple solution. Most of it can be done by computer. You know, through the IRS, through the ITIN number. You can take care of almost all this stuff by computer. You don't have to round anybody up. You take their stuff by computer and then say, okay, you know, bye. <laughs> you, you stay, you're going to take more stuff. Don't stay. That includes government benefits. You know, you send them a bill for all the benefits that they get illegally. Oh, wouldn't that be interesting? If they don't pay it, send it to their country. Take it out of their foreign aid. Say, well, we, we'd like to give you, uh, you know, $5 billion in foreign aid this year, but you owe us, you know, $12 billion for the cost of illegal uh, cost of your citizens that were here illegally. So you owe us, you know, $7 billion. <laughs> Send them a bill. That's how I do it. 
Anyway, he says one of the orders was to place a moratorium on deportations. That's insane. So they stopped deportations. Well, how are you going to get rid of illegals if you don't deport them? You know, well, civil asset forfeiture works too. They'll self-deport. He says, so the big incentive is once you get over the border, you're there. Nobody's ever throwing you out. You've got it. You've got it made. Don't think this isn't deliberate. It becomes the new normal. That is really what Biden and Democrats want. This is their strategy to so rig the elections that the opposition can never win. Let me say that again. Part of their strategy to so bias and rig the elections that the opposition can never win. That's the essence of dictatorship. Morris said, back to the article, that even if the, the, the Biden, I call it insurrection, is able to erect facilities to be able to temporarily house the illegal aliens captured, it has no intention to discourage more from coming. He says, this is not a problem that Biden hasn't been able to solve that Trump was. This is a problem that Trump ended and Biden is causing to start again. Immigrants. I'll use the term loosely, have been waiting in the wings. Oh, real immigrants, okay, genuine immigrants, people that come here legally, have been waiting in the wings for, for four years. Trump shut it down, and now Biden has opened it up again. Well, maybe it's not immigrants. Maybe we'll just call them people, <laughs> illegals. He says this was a problem caused by the Democrats, and Trump solved it, and now it's unsolved because of Biden. Yeah, so this is why I say this. It's impossible to believe that uh, Biden won the election simply because he revealed all the things that we liked about Trump. People didn't vote for 5 million illegals. They didn't vote for, you know, $110 billion or plus to Ukraine for a money laundering operation. They didn't vote for destroying our military, being it all woke. They didn't vote for cancel culture. They didn't vote for knocking out the Keystone Pipeline and all our energy. You know, American people did not vote for destruction of our economy, destruction of our jobs, massive inflation. But the Democrats did. That's what they want. That's what they voted for. All right, I'm going to hold it up here. I think I've got... I think I pretty much covered this. So in, the, in the third hour, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll look on yet another challenge. So I'm just going to check in here um, Dan, once we get him on the line. We're going to talk money. But I want to ask about this, uh, this idea of colas and inflation and uh, why, why you know, a certain percentage of the population didn't feel the effects of it. And it was quite interesting. All right. Let me um, – I, I don't want to start something yet in case he just calls in. Let me just check my messages. Yeah, he should be calling in any minute. So let me vamp for a little bit. Next week. Next is going to be interesting. Next week is the World Economic Forum. You've got the, uh, the, the global destructionist. That's a, I like that term, global destructionist. Let me start calling them that. So the global destructionists are meeting in Davos. Davos. And Derek's on the line now. So, so Derek, what do you think of this term, global destructionist? <laughs> let, me, uh, let me play his theme and we'll get started here. And uh, let's talk about everything that's going on in the economy right now. Be right back. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets. Oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the market and your money. Yeah, Davos, yeah, yeah. Klaus Schwab is going to meet. He's going to tell us what to do. He's going to tell us to eat bugs, strip naked, live without property. We'll enjoy it. We'll be great. It'll be a good time. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mind me. No, I got you. No worries. Yeah. So does this even register on the market? Do do they watch this kind of stuff? Do Do they care, you know, about the, does the World Economic Forum have any sway? Uh, with our financial markets? Um, 
maybe if they start talking more clean energy stuff and you know less less coal less um you know less less um you know gasoline stuff you know what i mean it, that may have impacts on things that are directly mm-hmm. influenced by those by those items but for the most part i would say no so what kind of power do they have then? If they don't really have economic power because if, the, if they can't sway markets uh, and they can't, you know, promote industries, or maybe they can. So is it, is it more of a political power and just influence and, and trying to influence political leaders? Because I know a bunch of leaders are going there. I would say Republicans, I, which is rather surprising. Yeah, go ahead. Right. I would say exactly that. Um, you know, lobbyist, lobbyist influence. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so so political influence through through their influence, yeah, I would say. You know, and in fact, I have a guest list. I'm, I'm, I should have pulled it up for today, but uh, I'm going to be covering it next week, so you can you know catch up on what we're doing there as far as that goes. But the people that are going, I mean, Justin Trudeau has gone to the World Economic you know School for Dictators, and I think some other folks have. Uh, Governor Kemp from Georgia is going. Uh, Daryl Ice is going, and some other and, and the uh, the two Democrats who are actually common sense folks, you know, uh, Manchin and Cinema are going. They're on the guest list. You know, very few Republicans. Cinema is no longer a Democrat. She's an independent. Oh, that's right. Okay, so good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, but she, so she hasn't, she hasn't joined the Republican Party, uh, which is, which is I wouldn't either. But so she's just, now is she, is she caucusing with the Democrats? Do they still count her as a Democrat? I don't believe so. Um, you know, I think her, her comments were, um, you know, she made the switch because, um, you know, the Arizona, uh, Arizonans, um, feel that there's issues that need to be supported by both sides and that she sees that, you know, the way of the old, uh, Democrats is not the way that she wants to go and nor does, does she feel her constituents want to go. So So how did the Democrats have a majority? Yeah, how do the Democrats have a majority so, of the Senate? They, so, they must have picked up more seats. So they don't. <laughs> um, oh, they don't. You know, so yeah, so so now um, instead of it a fifty-one fifty, even with the vice president, it's a deadlock. It's a fifty-fifty. So all they need is one um, one defector. You know, which you know that I mean that could be Mansion. That could be uh, who's there's one other uh, you know moderate Democrat. And I can't remember her name. Um, you know, but. Uh, uh, anyway, all it takes is one defector, and um, you know, I mean, it's, huh. it's an easy vote. Yeah, see, I haven't checked that for a bit. Um, you know, I'm giving the 2020 results. I just pull it up on online. What 2022? Yeah, it's too balanced. Kind of so far. Yeah, they keep reporting 2020. <laughs> That's not the election, folks. No, that one, that one's uh, over, and this was decided uh, obviously incorrectly. Let me just pull this up here, see if I can get the balance. Okay, Senate. They're still doing 2020. Folks, I punched in 20. Oh, I punched in 2020. That's crazy. Anyway, all right. Well, let's do the report. Let me look this up real quick and, and listen at the same time. And uh, tell me what, what's uh, what's going on. Sure. Well, I'll um, um, I'll, I'll talk to you U.S. about the index moving um, 0.1%, and it was um, uh, it was the actual uh, December um, inflation only went down 0.1%. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. What, what does that mean? That doesn't mean it's like nothing, right? It means for the month, you know, I mean, it didn't really move. But overall, you know, I mean, the, the everything fell, if that makes sense. 
Is that because of the demand? You know, we've had a terrible Christmas. We should talk about Christmas too. I don't think we've talked much uh, since Christmas. It doesn't. Uh, yeah. It doesn't in the because I I have some other notes that pop up in the report. Um, uh-huh. But um, yeah, it doesn't say specifically how how well Christmas did, how well retail. I mean, I would assume when people start reporting numbers, so like Amazon's coming out soon. Um, you know, that'll that'll work itself out. Okay. But let me read the report here, and we'll we'll move on. Okay. Uh, good morning, okay. everybody. This is Derek Park with Edward Jones, bringing you the daily financial market report. Markets rally on cooler inflation reading. Major indexes closed higher today after the CPI reading showed inflationary pressures continue to trend lower. The fixed income market also took the news in a positive light, with the Treasury yield falling as prices increased. The 10-year Treasury yield now hovers around 3.4%. European and Asian shares were also higher on the uh, back of U.S. inflation data. Inflationary data in France and Germany surprised to the downside recently, providing additional support to equity markets in Europe. The price of oil was up more than 1% as China continues to relax uh, stringent COVID-19 policies, and slowing inflation gives hope to the narrative of a soft landing. Rising forward demand expectations. All right. U.S. equities closed higher today with the Dow Jones up 216 points or 0.64 to 34.189. The NASDAQ closed up 69 points or 0.64 to uh, 11,001 point. And the S&P 500 closed up 13 points or 0.34 to 39.83. In the bond market, the 10-year Treasury yield is trading at 3.42%, lower by 0.13. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was up 75 cents or 0.97 to 78.16. And the spot price of gold was up $22.40 or 1.2% to $1,901.30. This is Derek Park of Ever Jones, member of IPC, you can get me at 850-995-0082. Hmm. Gold keeps going up. What, uh, it was like 18, I think it was 17 something at one point, not too long ago. Uh, any, anything we can infer from the gold price? Yeah. So you, you have to understand gold, gold against a strong dollar does not do well. Um, you know, it costs, costs more to buy it. Most of the, uh, mines are in other countries. Um, you know, so, um, you know, against a strong dollar doesn't do well. Well, with um, the 10-year Treasury yield falling, um, mm-hmm. you know, that does weaken the dollar a little bit, which is good. Um, you know, you need the dollar to kind of hover around the 1% mark, but it's sitting at about 1.05, 1.06. Um, mm-hmm. So, um also, um, you know, is, is it, gold is also depressed right now because of that. So as inflation eases and the tension eases, um, the value in gold will start to increase. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a good time to buy gold because that will eventually stabilize. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a good time if you want that hedge that uh, – I mean, your time actually was about four or five months ago, but yeah, you know I mean, uh, not now, but you know, just, just watch the rise. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's still, it's still, it's still a good long-term hedge to have in your portfolio. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, having a, a 5% position um, in precious metals, um, you know, can work out for you. Just understand a lot of people don't understand this. Precious metals aren't aggressive. They're a commodity, you know? So yeah. when, when, you know, new mines come in or economic data changes swiftly, they move swiftly. Um, you know, so, um, you know, the long-term return of gold, while it is a, a, a safe haven, um, is, is not that of the S&P 500, not even close. 
You know, the S&P yeah. 500 is like double what gold is. Um, you know, so, um, you know, it's just an example. Yeah. Do you, uh, I don't want to talk about recommendations, but the, the, the difference between gold shares uh, as opposed to actual physical gold, are there two different markets for that? Yeah, there is. Um, you know, so some of the, some of the, um, you know, the gold shares that you buy actually have to have enough gold to back what's bought, right? Um, and even some of them, you can request if you if you buy the shares in the gold, you can say, hey, um, you know, I want gold in this amount, you know, and they'll right. send it to you. I think Barclays does that, and one other company does, um, mm-hmm. you know. So really, like use use BlackRock for example, their uh, gold and silver index, which I which I sell, uh, basically just indexes, um, but they do supposedly have enough gold to back whatever's in there you know what i mean so hmm. that's 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 why they sell what they do now when you go to other companies you know they actually and i've <clears throat> i've helped people move these and they're they're very difficult to move but you can you can buy um you know like your ira for example they'll open an ira for you mm-hmm. and they'll give you a a value that they update daily based on the price of gold and silver and you actually buy the bullion and they put it in a in a vault for you, um, you know, it, it, and it and it fluctuates in value, you know. So um, when it's when it's time for you to sell some of that, man, it's a <laughs> it, it's a process. I haven't seen anybody that did it good yet, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you you sell as much as you need, and um, you know they eventually give you back the value whenever you need it. Interesting. Yeah, I think the attraction for gold is the gold. I think the attraction for gold is what it's always been. It's really cool to have some gold, to actually have physical gold in your hands and look at a gold coin, you know, it's uh, or two or three. You know, it's 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 kind of interesting. Uh, I think it's what caused the gold rush and caused everything else. I think people want gold just because right. they want gold. You know, if, if uh, right. you know, hell in a handbasket, if, if the worst comes to worst, the economy completely collapses, you know, if you've got some gold or silver, you've got something to trade, you know, that somebody else wants. And so that, the, that's, the, I think the that's, economy that's completely collapses. I don't yeah. think gold is what I want. I think guns and bullets and non-perishable food items is what I want. <laughs> yeah, seeds. <laughs> so, is, well, that's a very interesting question. Is there a market in seeds? Do people trade in seeds? You know, because I know there's a, there's an effort to control uh, seeds by various companies, so that uh, you know they they they're, they're sterilized, so you don't you don't get plants uh, with like watermelons. You don't get watermelon seeds that will grow. Uh, they're all sterile. You don't uh, so you don't grow your own watermelon. You don't buy one this year and grow five of your own next year. So it's uh, yeah. I haven't there? I haven't seen anything of such, but I mean, huh. you know, it breathes well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just curious. You know, like I said, I never know what's going to pop into my head, and neither do you. Which is I think a continual frustration. So what's, what's Greg thinking about today? Well, let, let's talk about this point one thing. Um, so inflation, and I don't even know how they measure um, that. You know, the the you know how how do they exactly do they measure? This? What, what do these people do when they when they the Bureau of Labor and Statistics when they sit down? And they try and measure how much, you know, so the currency actually reduced 0.1%. They, they, they called in more bills or, or didn't print as many or, or uh, how do they measure that? Or do you know? Uh, I don't know. There are, hold on a second. I'm going to find out what they are. Um, okay. There is metrics that they look at um, and they, they average them all out. Um, hold on a second. And I'm going to see if I can tell you what they are. There's like, I want to say it's 14 metrics. Um, oh, kind of like the Dow Jones 30? You know, 
uh, yeah, it's kind of like that. You know, it's it's like used cars, okay. hotels, food. Um, I'm I'm looking to see if one of these things just lists it out and makes it easy. Um, hmm. I can't remember all what they are off the top of my head. Oh, that's a good means, explanation, but... though. So it's, it's essentials, you know, food, energy, you know, uh, stuff, housing, you know, the stuff that we need, cars, that kind of stuff, right? Yes, exactly. That's it. Yeah. So, um, okay. Oh, goodness. I don't know why these, hold on, let me, let me type my list a little different. Well, this is Friday the 13th. Don't expect things to go well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Greg. Sorry. Uh, I didn't pay attention to that. Yeah. Well, I did only uh, because metric. I was fired uh, on Friday the 13th. <laughs> So, you know, ever since that, uh, you know, once, you get, once, once that happens, it kind of sticks in your mind. Oh, yeah, Friday 13th. Because most of Friday the 13th are really good. My last few Friday the 13th have been dynamite. Good things have happened. I expect mm-hmm. this to be another one. But there's one particular Friday the 13th that sticks out in my mind rather prominently. And so I find that interesting that uh, that's the way it happened. But don't, don't give it a thought. Key, Just, you know. <laughs> the, the key inflation um, um, measures or what they what they use these aren't mm-hmm. the the metrics that go into it are the actual consumer per, uh, price index less food and energy personal consumption expenditures personal consumption expenditures expenditures including or excluding food and energy or core pce and then there are um let me look at these here here's another one that has the list um, and of course, they have the big detailed explanation. Hmm. Oh my goodness! Yeah, what did that make it had? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, but yeah. Anyway, if I, no, if I come okay. across, I'm it, get the idea. Know. Oh, here, here, yeah. it, is. I, it is, oh. it is right here. Sorry, food and beverage, housing, transportation, mm-hmm. medical care, recreation, other goods and services. Pretty much what we said. So that's good. That's good confirmation. Um, nice to right. know. But I'm always, I'm always suspicious, though, because you've got, uh, in this case, you know, what I call an illegal administration and direction, you know, um, or even when it's back Clinton. I know Clinton changed a lot of the indexes, changed the way they measure things. And that's how unemployment went from, if they use the, the Depression era, classical definition of unemployment, I think Clinton and Obama would have been like 20% instead of like six. <laughs> yeah. So they changed the way they measure things. So I'm always suspicious. You know, when you hear about inflation's going down, unemployment's going down. Well, really? Did you? Mm-hmm. Is it actually happening? They're changing the way they measure it. And I wonder, you right. know, what kind of influence behind the scenes? There's no way we're going to find this out. But how much, you know, who, you know, who from the White House calls who in the Bureau of Labor and Statistics and says, look, you know, we really, uh, we've got an election coming up here. See if you can, uh, we're not asking to change the results, but, you know, we'd really like to have a good result if you can, if you can analyze it in a way that, you know, presents the administration more favorable light. I mean, I can almost guarantee those conversations happen. I can't prove it, but that, but that makes me suspicious because I don't trust them. I mean, how independent oh, are I'm these sure. independent well, agencies? I mean, yeah. I, you know, maybe, maybe you might get lucky and the news might turn on Biden with all these, con, uh, uh, these classified documents that are being found. <laughs> well, it's, it's always, it always comes out when it doesn't matter. You know, it comes out now yeah. rather than before the uh, the election. All this stuff comes out afterwards, uh, and so it's. Uh, but that's not the that's not the big problem. They're missing the essential truth that he he didn't win the election, and I can prove that intellectually, mm-hmm. you know, by by everything that uh, the the Brandon the government loves what he does. And we, I was talking about this in the first you know um, hour of the show. The government loves the government chose the government. The people chose Trump. The government chose Bra- chose Brandon. 
and they chose him for all the things that he's doing that they want. They want high inflation because it makes the national debt look lower. They want illegal aliens so they have a permanent winning voting class. They want high energy prices on organic fuels so that we all go to mono power, you know, electricity, which is metered by smart meters, which is run by government-controlled electric utilities. So everything that's happening is on purpose. So and as I said earlier, I'm curious your reaction. You know, I said bringing Brandon to the border. Yeah, they made a little, uh, you know, they, they made a Hooverville. <laughs> you know, they used to have these, these towns that they made look good for Hoover during the Depression. So they had a Bidenville out of El Paso. Uh, but it doesn't matter. It's like taking a bank robber back to the bank that he robbed and said, look what you did, and letting him keep the money. <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that, yeah. That's how I see bringing Brandon to It doesn't do anything. Yeah, I anyway. just saw a, um, uh-huh. a uh, statistic or a show or, golly, I, I, I think it was something that I watched on, you know, a, a, not a podcast or one of those videos or whatever, but uh, it basically showed statistics that said, Here's how much copper and silver the U.S. either imports or mines, you know, and they gave a number. And they said, and here's what it's going to take to be this, you know, almost all elect by by 10 years or by, Ooh, you know, 2030, 2033. Oh, uh-huh. oh, 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 it was like it, it, it was it was, you know, way more than double the number. And, um, you know, it's like huh. now here's what we have the capability to produce year by year. And it's like right. it basically shows that it's not going to happen until like 2040 <laughs> because there's there's one, there's not enough of the resource. There's not enough two people to mine the resource and there's mm-hmm. not enough of it to go around. So, um, you know, it's basically, it, you know, while it's a it's a pipe dream, it's a it's a, a very unrealistic by resource uh, pipe dream. And then uh, another statistic said, while there is enough lithium, um, you know, to, to, to be mined, um, you know, here is how long it's going to take to mine to get the amount of cars that we need, you know, and, and that number didn't flush out, you know, so it was, uh, I find it pretty interesting. Yeah, <laughs> cobalt's another one when I hear too. cobalt is a problem as well as lithium. You know, all these yeah, heavy metals, these particular metals. Um, yeah. The the guy actually, he he said, it was on a video, that's right, he did say several. He said chromium, um, cobalt, um, copper, silver, and there's one other one that I'm forgetting that's, that's you know, huge components in, in electric cars. Hmm. Tungsten, maybe? I'm not sure. I'd have to watch the video again. I don't, I don't yeah. remember. I'm just curious. Okay. Those, so we know there's a thing out there, yeah. But here's yeah, the other question. He ran the numbers on were copper and silver. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. Those are huge conductors of electricity. Um, so right. it makes sense to have those. But here's, here's the bigger question. Is electricity even desirable as a power source for, for everything? I would say no. Well, what it takes to create it, um, you know, right now is uh, a bunch of coal and, and you know, uh, fuel burning uh, generators and things like that. So, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, where we're at right now, I mean, I'm not saying long term that it wouldn't be feasible, but where we're at right now, it's not feasible for the amount of, um, you know, items that we use that are not completely electric. Yeah. Yeah. I know, you know, I mean, the whole idea of taking out gas stoves, you know, and, and the, I remember they used to back, uh, you know, the Obamas wanted to have, you know, the flush toilets that had like one point, you know, two gallons or whatever. Of course, they didn't work. So we ended up flushing like five times, <laughs> defeating the purpose of the whole thing. But water is, uh, you know, we got a lot of water out there. You know, look at the Pacific Ocean. There's a lot of water. You know, the, the world is full of water. It's two-thirds right. water. So what's your problem? You know, not you, but I mean, what's their problem? Electricity. What's, what's desirable about electricity? You can't store it. 
unless you have a big massive battery. Uh, and, and if you use the organic fuels, oil, coal, natural gas, and uranium, which come from the earth and, and are already powered, <laughs> you know, they come naturally powered. You don't have to create, you know, oil is there and you can store it. You can refine it into all kinds of different products. You can do all kinds of things with it, and it maintains its power. When you send oil from Canada, once we rebuild the, the Keystone Pipeline, to Texas and refine it, it doesn't lose any, any of, its, of its potential. It doesn't lose any of its power in transporting oil from Canada to Texas to refine it. Whereas electricity, you send electricity over that same distance, right? you're going to lose power in the transmission lines. There's leakage. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, yeah. You've, you've got the plants themselves. First of all, you have to buy the organic fuel, the petroleum that you put directly into your car, you know, have to, you have to buy it uh, and then convert to electricity and then buy the electricity. So not only are you paying for the cost of the electricity, but part of the cost of the electricity is the cost of, of the organic fuel to make the electricity. So you're buying your power twice. Why? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and then you look at the products that come out of the tailpipe. It's so clean now. And this is a good thing. The environmentalists were right. In 1970, the, the environment sucked. I remember it well. I mean, I, remember, I flew into Los Angeles in 1970, and it was a gray, horrible, disgusting cloud of, of like, you know, aerial death. I mean, it was bad. But the environmentalists were right. We need to do something. So we did. Catalytic converters, new technology, <laughs> engines, better fuels. And now, now L.A. is clear. It's great. Okay, environmentalists won. Now, shut and go home and stop this electricity nonsense. But it's not – but, you know – when you burn organic fuel, you put carbon dioxide, you put carbon back in the air, and then the air goes to the plants. We're actually eating the carbon cycle. So I would argue that burning you know, organic fuels is not only neutral, it's actually desirable for the environment to help the plants grow. There's a I mean, uh, electricity. I, you know? Didn't you have the guy on the show that said that? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, I, I, yeah, he was uh, well, like uh, Yeah, Gregory Wright's the CO2 of, coalition. Mm-hmm. Yeah banned off of LinkedIn or Facebook or something for well, posting what he did? A, I found an article that talked about the carbon cycle, and I kind of put two and two together. And my, my two and two was that it's, it's, it's amazing that the Industrial Revolution came along at a time which made use of petroleum as its main fuel. And the byproduct of that, is, and, and it came at a time when the carbon, uh, uh, carbon dioxide was a dangerously low level. And that's Gregory Wrightstone, the climate geologist. We've got too little carbon dioxide in the air. We actually need more of it. And one of the best ways to get carbon dioxide into the air is to burn organic fuels. So there's nothing wrong with that. Cars are a good thing. Right, right. Joe Biden's actually helping with his Corvette, even though the left is making fun of him because it's not electric. <laughs> you know, there's nothing inherently, and this is the thing, nobody questions. They say, well, you know, they're always asking how we go electric. And I'm saying, why would you want to go electric? What is this, what is this, this, this desire to bring about this that is somehow better than the organic fuels? And the reason is because right. they're, they're, they're labeling something a pollutant that's not. It's actually an asset. Right. It's, a, it's an essential element. We are a carbon-based life form after all. Just right, right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, let me ask you a different question. And this is something I was reading with Dick Moore, talking about how 37% of the population did not feel inflation because they get COLAs. They get cost of living adjustments. So all Social Security, Medicare, uh, all the unemployment, all the disability, all the compensated folks um, – they get an increase. And I, I, I agree that they should, but the problem is in getting those increases, they're not feeling inflation. And if they're not feeling inflation, they're not voting against it. And I think that was reflected in the midterms. And that's the point Morris was getting to. 
colas. Uh, I don't know. We've never really talked about those. These cost of living adjustments. I'm torn because I want people to not have to, especially seniors, right? Which I am apparently now, yep. you know, one or approaching very rapidly, right? Although I don't feel it. <laughs> You're not slowing me down. Uh, not for a second. But, uh, but the idea is that, that people that, you know, their only means of, of, of income is social security, which is kind of sad. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't want to punish older folks for, for inflation. On the other hand, if they don't feel the effects of inflation, then they don't have a reason to against the people that cause the inflation, the Democrats, in the first place. Does that, I mean, it's not necessarily a market question, but I'm just curious about the whole idea of cost of living adjustments. No, I, I, I would say that's not all true all the way across the board. I mean, I've had many of people that, um, you know, have had to increase their their uh, monthly contributions, Um you know, I mean, and it's it's kind of bad to do in a down market, but you got to do what you got to do. You know, I mean, you increase your monthly contributions to cover the costs of, of food. You know, what I mean, so that's one of the biggest problems with inflation right now is uh, food is holding it up. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. so food, I think, only went down like half a percent. You know, what I mean, so, you know, food is is um, extraordinarily high. So, I mean, my personal opinion is after you know, after about a quarter of the food not making a move, uh, somebody mm-hmm. needs to look at that. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, why why is it not moving? Because that's that's really, I, if if I had to guess, probably the biggest thing that's holding inflation uh, up right now. You know what I mean? It's so cars cars have fallen like twenty percent. Oh know? really? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I I you know probably not, shouldn't say this. Well, really, but. Um, you know, I've, I've oh, got ahead. somebody that's it's just uh, us. That's a pretty big mucky <laughs> muck in the car industry. I'll, I'll leave uh-huh. it at that. Yeah. And his comment to me was, he says every used car that they've acquired in the past, you know, year and a half, he said mm-hmm. they are taking a bath on all of them. You know, he said, you know, that, that they've had to discount them so much that they're losing money like crazily. I mean, that's like, for example, what's happening to Carvana right now. You know, I mean, Carvana is going upside down because they bought all these cars, you know, during mm-hmm. the COVID boom. And mm-hmm. now they're having to discount them because they're sitting on them. You know, what I mean, so, you know, I mean, they're they're losing. So, yeah, well, the used cars are, are, are falling very quickly. Um, well, maybe I'll know, get so, one. Uh, maybe I'll get that? down to, to my level of affordability. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, I, I, say, a- I say give it to, you know, give it till. Uh, give it till October, you know, when the new when the new cars start coming out. That's that's when you buy a car. Yeah, I need to talk to you about that. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, so, if, so everybody wants to contribute to GiveSendGo.com slash Action Radio. Uh, help help my, my transportation and other costs here of marketing this this grand enterprise. You know, feel free. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's interesting because we've heard that the used car prices are so high. Now, are they down because of the, just the demand? People can't afford because of inflation because they're buying food. So they can't buy cars. No, I mean it's 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 a mix of of demand is sinking. You know, I mean you you have to understand right. when the Fed raises the rates, there's a lot of things that that come with that. You know, what I mean mm-hmm. there is an opportunity to put the money and save and save in the bank. You know, I mean the bank is now paying you more to own, you know, and, and hold your money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, CDs and and short-term products and things like that that are safe, Um, you know, it's an opportunity there. Additionally, um, you know, it costs more to finance things. You know, credit cards can charge higher interest rates, mortgage Mm -hmm. uh, are higher, uh, car loans are higher. So when people are having to pay more to borrow money, they naturally don't buy as much. Yeah. You know, so 
um, you know, it's it's working. I mean, that's that's what the Fed wanted to do. They've achieved that. Uh, but, you know, here here comes and this is why they keep saying recession. Um, I personally believe that it's going to be a light recession. I mean, the economy is still moving good enough that it's not. I think we're going to roll right through it. I really do. They may. Okay. I mean, unemployment data comes out here in, I think, a week. And, you know, I mean, if it spiked another half a percent, they're going to say, yeah, we're we're in recession. You know, and I think the market wants to hear that because as soon as it announces that, um, mm-hmm. you know, the recovery began. You know, it's a lagging indicator, right? So, um, you know, I mean, I, I really personally believe that the market is waiting on those words, in my in my personal opinion. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's curious to see how this all works out because you never know how much is self-fulfilling prophecy, uh, you know, and how much is reality. You know, people think that demand is bad. They think it's a bad time to buy cars, so they're not buying cars. When actually it might be a good time to buy cars. You know, same thing that we talked about gold earlier. You know, the gold's going up. Maybe I should buy some gold. No, you should have bought it six months ago. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, remember gold was, I remember gold was $350 uh, an ounce. This is years ago, back in the 80s. I was thinking if I had a million dollars, you know, this is this is the low it's ever been because it was like eight hundred dollars during the the, the 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 previous you know run on gold. And I said, not nah, three fifty. And no talking about gold. And you know me, I like to report mm-hmm. news that nobody's talking about. So then I thought, geez, I wish I could buy a ton of gold right now. And then of course when I was eighteen hundred, I said, you know, I was right twenty years ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. <laughs> but it's, you know, so well, are there are there things that people are not talking about that maybe we should look yeah. into in the in the minute that you have left? When it comes to when it comes to buying precious metals, when you buy the actual physical metal, uh, uh-huh. there's two things that I'll that I'll tell. You. Well, actually, there, there's three. Um, first off, um, when you buy it, um, if you ever have to sell it, you're going to lose 10% in that transaction. So you need to cut 10% off your profit. You know, 10% mm-hmm. of what the price is. So if the price is $1,900, you're going to lose mm-hmm. almost $200 of your of your store of value. You know, Why so and and. In transaction because somebody fees or has what? to make a profit that's – yeah, they have to make a profit who's buying it, right? right? They have to have that margin. So most of them are right around 10%. I haven't seen it much lower than that, right? Oh, okay. So if you go to sell gold for somebody that needs to buy it, right, unless you're finding somebody that wants to barter and buy it exactly at that price, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like which, which you know, most of the time you're going to go to a store or somebody that buys bulk gold. A right? gold because dealer. Because you that yeah. money now. Yeah. Right, right. So, so you know, there, you need to you need to discount ten ten percent off your transaction. The next thing is is what's the value of something that's never sold? Yeah, nothing. Zero. Yeah, it's a big fat zero. Yeah. So you know, I mean, yeah, you've yeah. got this gold bar. Great, it's worth this, but you haven't sold it yet. So you know, <laughs> I mean, really, it's, it's it's not worth anything. And and, and listen, your your stocks are really no different. And I'm not I'm mm-hmm. not trying to give you a comparison. Like that. What I am trying to tell you is, you know, a lot of stocks pay dividends. They pay you to own them. Gold doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. you know, you can buy a stock that doesn't really move around that much, but pays you consistently five percent to own it. I mean, you're at least going to make five percent on whatever happens each year. I mean, I can show you many times in history, gold hasn't even moved over years. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know. No, I so, think the reason uh, the reason to buy gold is that you want to buy gold. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a right. resource that doesn't degrade. You know, I don't think it rusts. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's going to be the, in terms of consistency, it's going to be the same gold you bought. You know, if you pass it down through five generations, that gold coin is still going to be a gold coin. You know, the value of it might have, will, will have changed, obviously, but the, the, the inherent value, the value of itself, you know, with perishable goods, you have to use them or you lose them. But gold, the only thing about gold or, or any of these metals or diamonds or anything like that is that uh, they don't change. 
They don't. They don't degrade. Yeah. They don't. That's that's part of the attraction, I think. Yeah. So I did. I, I did one here for for somebody here recently. Um, mm-hmm. If you bought a hundred thousand dollars in gold, a hundred thousand dollars in silver, <clears throat> and a hundred thousand dollars in the S and P five hundred, mm-hmm. fifteen years ago, and I just mm-hmm. did fifteen years to to show this individual like what it is. The further you go back, the worse it gets, um, <laughs> or the bigger it gets. Um, gold, gold. If you bought $100,000, you'd have $260,000 as of uh, two months ago. Um, silver, you'd have 167000 So gold, you know, only went up, you know, uh, double and then some a little bit, right? right. Silver didn't even double, right? Um, yep. S&P 500, 433000 <laughs> You have almost, yeah. almost five times what you started yeah. with, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, the S&P 500 is just a, a good margin to look at. You know, I mean, if I did the Dow, the Dow would probably be a little bit less than that. If I did the NASDAQ, it would be a little bit more than that. But, you know, I mean, again, this is why you diversify. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. We should talk about the S&P 500 sometime and the idea of just a, of an index of stocks as opposed to money managers, hedge fund managers, all the managers out there. And, and you know, are they doing better than the, the S&P 500? Uh, that'd be something interesting to find out. Are there charts, you know, who, who the, I guess there must be, you know, the successes and the failures who, who are managing better. They, they make like a list of the who's who of, of stock market stuff or how do they find out who's they doing do. the good job? And, and, and it's, they do, they do make that. And they say, you know, statistically a lot of money managers don't because they don't move the stuff around that much. But what huh. I would argue is, is like, you know, a lot of people assume that their risk tolerance capable of handling the S and P 500 when really it's not. You know what I mean? So if you want that long-term 8% return, that implies that you're willing to take, you know, medium to high risk. I would say high medium to high Mm -hmm. risk, right? So I will tell you, everybody's risky until they see their money down 20%. And then they're not risky (laughs) anymore, you know? So, you know, and and I have to have the conversation with them. I said, when it's at the bottom is not the time to have that risk discussion. You know, the Mm -hmm. risk discussion needs to happen, you know, while it's stable or at least high. You know, and I mean, when it's low, you know, that's that's your fear, you know, and I mean, you need to be able to control that because when you make decisions, when the market is down, those are poor decisions. You know, I mean, understand that you have to have you you have to have certain decisions that, you know, require money and things like that. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about an emotional decision that you make to sell because you can't take the pressure anymore. You know, so. it, it, it's, it's uh, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's very costly. So, you know, a lot of people, they think they want the performance of the S&P 500, but they don't want the volatility. Well, there's nowhere you can go for that. You know, so. Well, is there a thought, um, yeah. you know, if, you, if you're, you're buying on the way up and you're selling on the way down or whatever, it's, it actually should be selling on the way up and buying on the way down. Um, but yep. if, you know, it, is it an investment strategy? I'm not asking for like, you know, personal advice or whatever you can't tell me, but is there a point, where the market said, or, or you know, the, the the consensus is, if you if your stock is up so much, maybe you should sell some of it, take the profit, uh, and then just put it somewhere else, and then invest if that stock lowers again. So in other words, you have a reserve fund. So so you take profit when there's profit, you know, above your initial investment, hold money somewhere else, and then when the stock drops, which they inevitably do, whether it's the S and P five hundred or anything, you know, you say, okay, I've got my reserve fund for my profit. Now I'm going to put that, I'm going to reinvest it back in when the market's lower. And then keep it in there until there's a profit again. Then I'll sell it, take a certain portion, put that away somewhere else, and then wait till you know. And so, in other words, you're you're taking the profits while you can. Uh, do, is that a is that a strategy? Is that something that people think about, or is that something I just made up? It today? is. 
it, it is some strategies that I do with some people. Um, but what okay. I will tell you is, is, you know, most of the time, um, you know, unless they have a, you know, when we sit down, we do a needs analysis for the return of their money, right? Mm-hmm. If, if their needs analysis is five years from now, you know what I mean? And then we come in in a year and they start talking about they need money. Well, then they didn't convey their needs very well. You know, right. so, you know, it's and, and, and a lot of people will make up everything, you know, well, it's a down market. And, you know, I just did, you know, my cousin's brother's uncle's sister's ankle hurt. So, you know, and it's just <laughs> like, you're like, oh, my God, you know, yeah. it's like, well, hold on, man, you, you forgot to tell me the cousin's brother's uncle's ankle sister, you know what I mean? Whatever's going on. <laughs> um, you, you, you failed to tell me about that. And, and right. I can't tell you how bad of a time that is. So while that does brief well, Greg. Getting people to do what they need to do um, it, when the market's going down, I will tell you, is very challenging. Yeah. You know, so um, it, it's probably the most challenging and emotionally taxing thing part about my job. You know what I mean? Hmm. It's just telling people, listen, I sit down with them and I'm saying, hey, are, are you willing to take this risk? I ask people all these questions and I show them these charts and I'm like, here's what this does. Here's what this does. Do you understand how that works? Yes. Now, what kind of return are you looking to have? Well, mm-hmm. you know, a, a large majority of people are going to be like, well, I want, you know, I'd like to get eight to 10%. Well, that means you're going to be taking this risk. You know, mm-hmm. is uh, if you saw your portfolio go down 20%, talking about it, Greg, and then them seeing it are two totally different things. You know, so, and I try to, I try to articulate that to people where I say, hey, we need to have an emotional discussion now, not when the market goes down. Because when the market goes down, I'm going to do my best to stop, to stop you from making a poor decision because that is the time to buy. You know, yeah. what do we do? And I, I have to go back to the fundamentals many times where I'm like, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Client, do you <laughs> buy low and sell high or do you sell high and buy low? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you or, haven't or, lost uh, any money low, until you – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I, I said that backwards. But, you know, I, I meant, um, you know, sell low, buy high. And, and, you know, a lot of clients are like, well, it's a, it's a bad time in the market right now. I said, so, okay, well, let me explain this to you. So what you're wanting me to tell you is you want it to come back up in value and you want to buy it then? Is that, is that what you just said? <laughs> you, know, you want to wait for it to appreciate, get more expensive and buy it then? Is that what you're telling mm-hmm. me because that makes you feel better? You know, yeah. or, or do you want to buy it now when it's 25% cheaper than it was a year ago? <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, and there's, there's like the, the, the mind versus the, the, the emotion. You know, if you look at it logically, and you haven't lost anything unless you sell. So a stock can be down 50%, and if you hold on to it until it gets back up, you know, above where you bought it, you know, there's your profit. But if, if you don't sell it, you haven't lost anything yet. So unless the company goes That's out of true. business – you don't lose in a, in a, when the market's down unless you sell. So if the company right? goes out of the business, uh, you've heard me say in my spiel, uh, member SIPC, that's the Securities Insurance Protection Corporation. What that basically says is if the company goes out of business, well, not company, mutual funds. This protects right. you against mutual funds, not stocks, right? right. Um, okay. If the mutual fund goes out of business, um, they'll back you. You know what I mean? If they, if they fail, they go bankrupt, you know what I mean? They'll back your money, right? Hmm. So. Um, you do have a, a store of value against a company dissolving, but mutual funds, none of them have ever really disappeared, right? Um, they, they normally get acquired by other companies because there's store of value there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you say that every week and I think about it, and I, was, I think like the bank one where the deposits are insured, but so we haven't really explained that. So I'm glad you did that. So it's a good thing to point out, but yeah. Right. And the people yeah. just, you yeah. know, but stocks, stocks are not, are not covered by, uh, 
<laughs> you know, I mean, you're, you're taking the ultimate risk when you buy a stock. Well, that'd be something to talk about too, is, is various, you know, who, uh, you know, like I say, without getting too specific or names or anything, but I mean, who, what kind of person buys stock? What kind of person buys mutual funds? What kind of person buys an S&P 500? What kind of situation are they in? I, that might be something for us to explore. I don't know if you can do that or just sort of like categories generally, you know, who's, who, who, what kind of person would do what? The young investor, the older yeah. investor, you know, that kind of stuff. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting for us to kind of explore some yeah. of those things. I could bring okay. it down, but uh, I got to get on here, Greg. No, I know. I, I appreciate any time. I mean, you're always welcome to go at the top of the hour. Uh, if you happen to stick around, I'm, you know, I, I, I like talking to you, so you know, I'll let you go. <laughs> but uh, All right. feel free to. Well, good. Uh, have, a, uh, have a great weekend, and uh, we'll yeah. talk to you next week. Let's get your contact one more time so we'll know. All right. Again, hey, thanks, everybody. This is Derek Park with Edward Jones. That's 850-995-0082 for contact. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Talk to you next week. Yep. Bye-bye. All right, and so eight eleven here. We've got the rest of this hour, and that'll uh, that'll be it for this week. And then next week we've got the uh, the World Economic Forum. Uh, I'm going to be looking into some interesting reports are coming out with Nixon uh, and the CIA and the Kennedy assassination. So I'll be looking into that as well. So uh, it's going to be a fun week. <laughs> of course, it's always a fun week around here. We do so much. Uh, so oh, I think some really cool stuff. All right, back in a little bit. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates. W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. 
MyPillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. Here at the end of another week, and uh, it's Friday the 13th, so all you Triskaidekaphobes, you know, beware <laughs> if you can get over your phobia, and, uh, and uh, you know, it should be an interesting day. <laughs> it usually is Friday the 13th for me. Like I say, I had uh, one day, one Friday the 13th, I lost a job, and that sort of sticks in my mind, but otherwise, it should be a good day, although it's kind of windy out there, so I'm, I'm happy that my, my power hasn't been chopped or anything else uh, has happened. Uh, Becky, how's your week been? What's, uh, what have you been up to? What are your, what are your thoughts for this week? Oh, been nice and quiet. Is that good? Or bad? Listening. That's good. You know, you may mention about gold. Gold does deteriorate. Oh, it does. Listen, the more pure it is. Huh. That's why I come to me, uh, add add mixtures to it, like silver, mm-hmm. to make it harder. So, eighteen carat, fourteen carat is standard here in the United States, and places like the Mid East is uh, nothing less than eighteen, and there's no such thing as 24 carats because you never could get there. But mm. it's the softest. And, uh, you know, you could take a, a piece of gold about the size of a lima bean and you could anneal it out where it go down to the end of the block. So it's real soft. And the more that it's handled and you kept rubbing it together with your hand, it would disappear in a large physical content. Now, it would still exist. But you'd have to go back, go through the process of capturing it all over again. Yeah, I heard that a cubic mile of ocean has enough gold in it to make you rich, but the cost of extracting, you know, the gold from a cubic mile of ocean is so prohibitive that uh, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't justify the cost of uh, of getting it. So yeah, yeah, gold's interesting stuff. Like I said, there's always been an attraction for it. You know, the Egyptians, the Romans, you know, all the societies, the ancient societies, like loved gold and the. You know, people have their gold fillings for years and years. I don't know if they much do that anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, we've had gold rushes here, you know, 1847, you know, all the way up through the Klondike, you know, Alaska and Australia had a gold rush. So gold, is, the study of gold is the desire to own gold. 
has always been fascinating. You know, I mean, Derek looks at it in terms of dollars and cents, but in, but I think there's an intrinsic value to gold uh, and diamonds and uh, precious metals and precious stones in the value themselves. And that they're, they're either fun to own, nice to own, uh, interesting to own, or for whatever reason, you know, people have been fascinated with the, the reflections in diamonds, rubies, emeralds. There's a reason these things, you know, rise to prominence, gold, silver, stuff like that. I mean, people don't own, you know, they don't invest in, they don't make, you know, uh, copper. I mean, coins, you know, the penny is mostly copper. So there's no great attraction for copper, at least it didn't used to be. Now there is. But, uh, you know, it's just, is the value just monetary or is there, is there an intrinsic value that uh, people want gold just because it's really cool to, to own some gold? You know, it makes you think you've got something. I don't know. It's just a desire. You can't do nothing with it. You can't use it to go buy a loaf of bread. Yeah, unless the economy collapses, and like Derek says, then you want, you know, seeds. <laughs> We're talking about seeds and bullets. <laughs> you, know, you want to grow food and kill food. <clears throat> so those are your options there. Yeah. Interesting. So next week, next week should be really kind of interesting. We've got this World Economic Forum, and uh, I'm not so concerned with that. What I'm concerned with is, is that uh, some of the Republicans and some of the people that are going, they're going to try and bring back some of those World Economic Forum principles uh, and say that they have any influence over us. So... As I was talking with Derek, I'll ask you the same question. Do you see it as economic uh, or more political? Because I'm not, I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So, and what are they trying to accomplish? What is, what is their purpose? What, why do they meet? Why do they try and tell us how to live our lives and give up our property and eat bugs and be happy? You know, it's like, you know, Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy, you know. Trying to uh, spread, uh, spread the, Wealth like peanut butter everywhere, it's not. It's just not going to work. You know, there's some societies perfectly fine the way they are. They won't move. Mm-hmm. You go into the Amazon and you got societies in there that's uh, perfectly fine. They won't move. Mm-hmm. They're happy. You know, I mean, what makes yeah, people happy? There's not going to be. Yeah. There's not going to be no New York skylines in mm-hmm. the Amazon. Some uh, <clears throat> areas in Africa. It's just not going to go no place. It's just no. uh, the cool way it is. You have to go that far. You can go to Wyoming. You can go to, a, go to a cattle ranch in Wyoming. You think they want a skyscraper there? Hell no. They want a cattle ranch in Wyoming. And so this, uh, it's fascinating that I think the problem I have with these people is I don't care what they want for themselves. What I care about is that they think they have the right to determine what I want or what I can have. And that's where they lose it. You know, they, they, they have this sort of weird moral justification that because they want it and they're billionaires, they sort of made it to whatever that upper echelon is, that that somehow imparts wisdom, the wisdom of Solomon to make the decisions to divide up the means of production or the, uh, the means of information. You know, as I've been talking about Dick Morris all week, especially that article I did Wednesday and Thursday, that the reason the left rose to power is because of the, of the switch from uh, economic Marxism controlling the means of production to cultural Marxism, controlling the, the, the methods of information. And so it's, it's been really been quite fascinating, but these people, they want to do that. They want to control that message. That's why the Justin Trudeau's and the uh, Macron's of France and the, the different international leaders and our own uh, governor, uh, um, what's his name? I forgot his name now of Georgia, you know, uh, Kemp. Kemp is, is going to be going to the World Economic Forum. Daryl Issa is going to the World Economic Forum. Hell, I'd love to go to the World Economic Forum. I'd love to put my two cents worth in. Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> See if they have a citizen legislative component. Well, you know, another thing uh, mm-hmm. is that in today's society, children 
are raised without actually knowing and experiencing what it takes to survive. Hmm. They're not out uh, chopping wood. They're not building log cabins. They aren't uh, plowing fields. They don't know how to survive if uh, it ever got down to that point. If you compare it to what it was then. Uh, and we know we also talk about the World War II society mm-hmm. and how the United States geared up, especially with the help of women. Women played a major part. But, uh, heck, we was producing three battleships. We was producing a Jeep a minute, uh, general purpose vehicles. Mm-hmm. I think oh, we were producing them, one of them every 14 seconds or something like that. Wow. And uh, it was just tremendous the way uh, the society geared up to do what it did. It just outproduced the rest of the world. It's interesting how it geared down, too. I think, I think you're onto something here. Uh, what I did w- with my daughter when she was growing up was we used to watch a lot of movies, and not just any movies. These were historically significant cultural uh, movies. And it was interesting if you look at movies in the 40s, uh, like the Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn film, some of the things they did, and just the roles that women portrayed during the war years, they were very intelligent, you know, equal to the guys. They, they were their own person. And then after the war and the baby boom and the, you know, we moved to suburbia and we could survive, you know, pretty, families could do pretty well on one income, usually the husband's income, you know, mom at home, you know, we went from, uh, um, you know, from Rosie the Riveter to Leave it to Beaver. You know, and it was an interesting transfer. But the, the roles that women played in movies got decidedly dumbed down. You know, they didn't have the characters they had before. They were, they were much more, you know, you went from uh, Catherine Hepburn to Marilyn Monroe. You know, it was a very different world, and they sort of geared down. So women played a much more prominent role. Take a look at the movies from the 40s. Take a look at the scripts that they had. Even the, they didn't really have TV shows yet. But it's just, it's a fascinating thing that when, when called upon, you know, when the guys went to fight, the women, you know, put the airplanes together. You know, put the battleships together, uh, and that only makes sense. So, so how do we take that attitude and bring it about now? You know, and uh, and what they've done now is that women are working now, but they're being taxed hugely, uh, as families are being taxed hugely. So the the the, the advantage of of uh, having you know women in the workforce is, is offset by the disadvantage of having ridiculous tax rates. Anyway, which is why I think they wanted women in the workplace in the first place. But you know, well, it would have to take a heck of a calamity. Mm-hmm. You know, you was talking about Derek was talking about stocks early. There mm-hmm. wasn't no stocks in banking, uh, financial mm-hmm. stocks, because uh, you 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 bought stocks in manufacturing companies like General Electric, uh, Anheuser Busch, mm-hmm. and they the, the the price pretty much ran level, but they paid dividends mm-hmm. every quarter. But when you have, and of course, somebody wins, somebody loses. Uh, just because the value of stock goes down now, you don't have to sell it. You can sell options against it. And mm-hmm. after a long period of time, you would accumulate back where you were, you know, under normal circumstances. Yes, yeah, uh, I don't. Probably very. The, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, I don't agree with the idea that people say that in order for one, and I don't think you were necessarily saying that, but there's a perception that in order for somebody to win, somebody has to lose. Uh, the, the leftists say that, you know, the only reason the rich are rich is they took money from the poor people. But what they don't take into account is, is the size of the, of the pool, of the, the collective wealth of the country. 
you know, and uh, the fact the whole point of growth in an economy is so that anybody can increase their income. It's independent. You're not poor because somebody else is rich. You're poor because of your circumstance. Someone else is rich because of their circumstance. Now, whether they inherited or whether they built a business from scratch, you know, they still got the money. And that's the whole purpose of, of inheritance is to pass on what previous generations have earned so that your family increases wealth. That's a good thing. You know, but uh, the idea of the zero sum, you know, the, 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 there's the, the economy is only so big, it can't get any bigger. And that's why growth isn't a big deal. And the left has used this argument for years. And they use it to divide people. You have to tax the rich because they have your money. Well, no, they don't. <laughs> they have their money. You know, the government, has, the government has your money. So it's like this very strange message. I just want to make that, uh, you know, get that out there. But that's, that's a bad perception. And that screws a lot of things up. Hmm. Well, when well, you when you trade in stocks, you are you are trading against somebody else's actions. Well, well, I mean, in order for a stock to be bought, someone has to sell it. In order for a stock to be sold, someone has to buy it. But in terms of what a stock is, and this is something I should ask Derek about too, uh, a stock is a loan. You know, you're 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 buying a part. You're you're giving the company money, and they're giving you a share of, you know, hopefully the profits, the dividends, the increase in the stock price, but they have the use of your money. So you buy $100,000 in stock, you know, I'm just picking a number, right? So, so a company, you know, com- however many companies you buy, mutual funds, whatever, then that much money goes into the corporate world, you know, the, the industrial world to spend or, or, you know, on things that hopefully improve their, their profits, their machinery, their stuff, their hiring, whatever. Uh, and then they will pay you a greater return than what you gave them. So it's a loan. And if you look upon stocks that way, it's investment in principle well, yeah, and, uh, and, and profit. See, this is how you can see it. If you ever pulled up a chart over mm-hmm. a long period of time, like a year, okay, a year and a day aggregate, or maybe two years, and you can see the price. Prices start be way up there on the left, and on the right, it's way down there. So those who had it there on the left, now it's worth what it's showing there on the right. So those those people, is uh, they've lost value. Hmm. Then you got, when you reach the point on the right, then people come back in and buy it up and drive it back up again. So it's an up and down roller coaster. 70% or more people that deal in those uh, ventures, they don't do it too well. But that's just the way things are at any given point in time. Yeah, and you can't be rewarded for, for your good intentions. Well, I try to make money. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Well, let me ask you a question on, on the, this whole thing that I was talking about earlier with uh, uh, Dick Morris's article. He's talking about colas and the fact that people, a certain percentage of the population doesn't feel inflation. So I, I'm kind of torn on this one. I'm not sure. I haven't, I got to think it through because I really just kind of hit upon it this morning. The idea that Social Security recipients, Medicare, Medicaid, you know, different beneficiaries, uh, disabilities, all the folks that get uh, government aid of any kind, even if we paid into it. So all, all the government, you know, money that goes directly to people, for example. The, uh, oh, market starts. <laughs> I love when that bell rings. It's so funny. Um, but all the folks that get that, you know, uh, I don't want seniors hurting because they can't afford food. And if they get a cost of living increase to combat inflation, that's a good thing. But the problem is that now then those same seniors think, oh, the government's fine. Inflation's not a problem. I can handle it because they got, an, they got a raise to cover it, where some in the private sector Unless they got a raise to cover inflation, they're not getting the same thing. And the problem is the more people that are on a government, you know, pay role or a government uh, subsidy, whatever it is, even if you earned it, like I say, with Social Security, um, the government increases through a cost of living adjustment, 
you know, the point where inflation, you don't feel the inflation. So if you don't feel the inflation, you don't vote against the inflation. So you almost have, and this is, this is something I, I got to figure out, or I'm curious your view, you know, I don't want to punish people, you know, because the government created inflation, but I, I, I want them to feel it enough that they vote against it and don't let the government, you know, give more inflation because that hurts me. It hurts everybody else that, that has to, uh, has to live with the consequences of inflation. But you got almost 40% of the population that doesn't have any, uh, that isn't feeling the effects of the inflation. Well, that's wrong, but I'm not sure how to resolve it, short of not having the cost of living addressed. You know, me personally, I take a standpoint where you have, uh, I don't mind people being rich. Now, let's get back to the elderly uh, that's starving. Well, uh-huh. that's because society today is not like it used to be. Mm-hmm. Family used to take care of the elderly once they reached the yeah. position. You mm-hmm. know, in no African society is there what's called, that we have termed here as an old folks home. Yeah. The human society, society takes care of the older society and the family. You don't put mama, a grandmother, a grandfather into uh, an old folks home. You take care of them and, and you know, within your family. It's not like that today. Yeah. yeah, there used to be, especially family farms, I think, was a, was a great example where you would have an extended family. You know, you'd have the grandparents that started the farm when they were kids or that worked on the farm, you know, when, when they had grandparents, you know, and they keep the family farm. It increases. You know, you get better at it, modern technology, you add to it, and, and people stay, and people aren't staying on the family farm. But at least that was a place where you had a family business and a family home combined you know, on the family farm and the older folks, you know, you didn't send them away because they were home. You know, they were already home and mm-hmm. you took care of them in the same way that uh, you take care of the abuse and you take care of the old people and the folks in the middle have to work. <laughs> and that's kind of how, that's kind of how the, we're designed. You know, they came up with social security instead of Biden giving money to these foreign companies and so forth, mm-hmm. not companies, but countries, they should be showing up social security and, where it would be there like uh, people expect for it to be. Uh, there should be uh, economic uh, programs, economic plans that would uh, call the input based on Social Security tax in your wages. So we have to have those type of wages that allow Social Security tax to go into the Social Security trust fund in order to shore it up. Yeah, there is no nah, yeah. that's the problem. It's it's not the people that the social security is paid for by people who are who are taxed. So the money when people pay their social security tax, in other words their payroll tax, that money goes immediately to immediately to recipients. Nobody pays in and gets the money that they paid in back. That's that's not how the system works. It's social security, not individual security. So Stephen Moore, I think, had the best plan. I believe it was Stephen Moore I heard interviewed. He he said that anybody who's over forty five uh, should stay in Social Security. The government should take care of that. They should increase it, you know, because it's not, it's not, it's loosely based on what you earn over the course of your life, but, but you know, the, 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 the maximums are so ridiculous, it's crazy. And the fact that they tax Social Security, you, if you have a job, you know, over 65 or over 62, uh, or actually between 62 and 65, they will tax you uh, on your Social Security. You can't earn, you know, the, the, your reduced Social Security because you're working. Well, I mean, the, but working is good for the economy. So why wouldn't you want seniors working? That's crazy. Anyway, what he said was, if you take people over 45, uh, it's more beneficial to stay in the system. If you're under 45, it's more beneficial to get out, get your money back, uh, have a mandatory uh, 10% uh, withholding that goes into an, a private retirement account. 
and then you talk to Derek and you get your S&P 500 or you get your uh, investments, mutual funds, things like that. But that's the way the Chilean system works. So they have a mandatory checkoff. And this is the one place where I would mandate it because people simply will not uh, you know, invest money uh, unless it's withheld, just like taxes. If you give them people, which we should do, <clears throat> there should be no withholding of tax money because then it's painful to pay it. And that's the whole point. That way people will vote to lower it. When you feel the pain, you vote to lower it. But people don't vote to lower taxes because when it's withheld, they never had the money in the first place. It was taken you know, before they had a chance to, to actually have it in their possession. Uh, same thing with Social Security. If you can take everybody under 45 uh, and say, okay, you know, whatever uh, you've paid into it, that's going to go into your, uh, your private retirement account, and we're going to take 10% per year until you retire. And you can invest it however you want, but it's got to be an investment, and it's got to be held until you're 62, 65, whatever. And then, uh, then it's yours. But it's a private account, so, you know, it's whatever you've earned over the course of your, and you can contribute more to it. And it should be a completely tax-free uh, thing. You don't tax it on the way out. You, you don't tax it at all. This would be tax-free earnings that people could then retire on, and most people would retire on far more than whatever they, money they would get from Social Security. And Social Security ends when you die. So if you die at, at 62 and three days, <laughs> you, know, you, you don't even get your first check. <laughs> You know, and even though you paid into it your whole life, whereas if, with a private account, you get everything that you paid in and uh, you can will it to your family or to, uh, you know, the dog shelter down the street or whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But it's, it's an individual account. It's individual money. It never goes to the government. The only thing the government does is, is forces a withholding so that they don't so that everybody else doesn't have to pay for the people that didn't save at that point. Anyway, that's a better. Well, system. yeah, it, right. And what, what happens is they got so many programs running mm-hmm. off of Social Security, mm-hmm. like, uh, for instance, you have children born and the father is not productive, then they fall back on society with these programs, mm-hmm. uh, childhood credits, for instance, where you get X number of thousands of dollars just because you got a child. That there is well, that's welfare. Up. That's not Social Security, though. I think it's a different program. Well, the money is coming out. For instance, if you, if, if, uh, you have a child, mm-hmm. you get killed, you're no longer there, then they turn oh, Social Security rather than the family. Benefit. Yeah, no, I understand that. Yeah, they, they, they turn to Social Security. Well, the death benefit is about $255 is what that is. Hmm. But uh, the survivor benefit is what I was trying to say. Well, okay. in the old days, they used to turn to family. The family used to come together and help take care of their kids. Well, now right. he's drawing it upon the general society. And that there just brings things down. Yeah, so what you need to do is get rid of all those programs. Now, I'm not saying it's actually not a bad idea to have some kind of a benefit, but it'd be nice if corporations did it as a tax deduction or as some kind of benefit or like a matching corporate government or something like that. But the more stuff we get away from government, the more control of our money we take from government, the more money we're going to have. Social Security does not give you back everything that goes into it. If you took everything that, uh, that people pay into Social Security, well, that's true too. But you see, but see with, with a private account, it wouldn't matter how long you live. You'd still, you or your family would still have the money. So if you work, your, so you work from uh, you know, 21 to 65. Typical working ages, right? So you work from 21 to 65, and everything that the 15% of your income, and see, I'm only saying 10% for, for a private account, but Social Security takes 15%. Now, they say it's paid for by the employer and the employee. That's a bunch of nonsense. The employer gives so much money for the cost of employing you. 
uh, you get so much money for, for being an employee. The difference, that 15% difference, you know, goes to the government. <laughs> that is, whether, whether you say it comes out of the employee, the employer, or, or, or both, it doesn't matter. You're still losing 15% of the money that the company is paying for the cost of hiring you. So that 15% goes to government. Now, if, every, if, if, if people got at the end of their working life at 65, they got everything that would, uh, every 15% of every paycheck, you know, and it was invested and compounded and uh, you know, reinvested all the way through retirement, there'd be a hell of a lot more money than Social Security would ever pay. And it's permanent. Even if you die the day after you retire, that money is still yours. It's still your position, your asset, yours to will, yours to pass I on, yours people, to do whatever. I hear people say that, but I hear people say those things I disagree with. <clears throat> I tell you what you do. You go to a brokerage firm and open up an account. Mm-hmm. You can even open up a simulation account with uh, TD Ameritrade. And then do that, what you just said, on that account. Buy some, you know, you get the... Every week you can you can take two hundred dollars and buy a particular stock, and you got to choose them. And then after a period of time, say five years, see how much it has increased. It just mm-hmm. don't work that way. And take out what you got to have to live. You will see that it just, it just doesn't work that way. People talk those things, but. Uh, I wouldn't want my social security being played on the stock, being invested on the stock market per se. Even though, even though Derek talked about, uh, you know, the rate of return over the last 50 years on the market, uh, just on the S&P 500, 500 has been huge. Yeah, but everything else went up too. But but the same thing would happen with Social Security. If they paid you, I mean, inflation affects Social Security too. Even though they have a cost of living adjustment, you know, the dollar is still worth less. You know, if you got Social Security in 1932, you'd be making more whenever it started, maybe we'll say 45, all right? So, you know, the the value, you you get fewer dollars than you get today, but those dollars bought so much more. So so has the inherent, you know, correcting for inflation, you know, how has the value changed? I bet you it's been lowered. First of all, they raised the retirement age, 67 now, I think, for full benefits. Well, it's what, what I'm saying is if you get a, a pension, a fixed mm-hmm. amount every month, that's a fixed amount. But when you're – I mean, dividends, even on stocks, they go up. I've seen some dividends get down the penny, and I've seen some like a dollar forty some odd cents. But you have to have – Okay, if you get a a dollar forty cents in a dividend every, you know, average out mm-hmm. of quarter, well, how many shares of that stock do you have to have? Hmm. A, I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. So, if you had the choice at the age of twenty-one to select a a government social security style retirement or a private, you know, ten percent of your money, you know, goes into a, 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 an account where you can't touch it, but you can select where it goes. And you can move it around during the course of your your working life. You would choose the Social Security option. See, I wouldn't. I'd choose the other one because I know it would make more money for me. Well, like I said before, you can go to a brokerage firm and open up a simulated account, mm-hmm. and how much ever well, you think that you would put in. I'd say take the amount that you would put in Social Security mm-hmm. and put it into that simulated account. And allow for what you need to live off of, and see how long that it lasts. 
Well, but you don't allow because you don't you don't get your Social Security money for for living expenses. It, it goes to the government. Well, you got at some point in time you got to come out of the workforce, so you don't get too old. Right. But hey, I'm so saying, I mean, you're not going to outwork you. You aren't going to outwork that young person, so you've gotten too old. At some point in time, you got a couple, you're going to come out of the workforce. Now, back in the old days, they never came in. They just dropped dead on the job. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, cause That's working, the way it was working. in uh, commercial construction. You have people uh, on the sidewalk across the street waiting for somebody to fall off the building. And then they'd go, uh, next person in line, go take their place. Yeah, that's fascinating that the the people used to walk around in open steel, <laughs> you know, thousands of feet up. I mean, not thousands, but they, they were way up there. I've heard that the Mohawk are particularly good at that because they don't have a fear of heights, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I used to do that when I was younger. Really? Wow. Did you ever think about falling off? No. Okay, I'm just curious. I about falling down to what I was walking on. It's more safer today than what it was, <clears throat> even when I began. But uh, huh. it's um, it's fun. You think about falling when you're flying? No, because I trust the laws of physics and the wings. And I figure there if I don't exceed go. the G-forces on the wings, which I don't, <laughs> you know, then I'm going to be fine. Now, and this is why, and this is for something else that people should know too. The the even in the worst thunderstorm, if you slow the plane down to what's known as the maneuvering speed, which is really the safe stalling speed, the wings will lose all their lift before they exceed the g force of the wing. So you can that's why planes slow down in thunderstorms. So you can slow an airplane down, and it will stall, which takes all the pressure off the wing. In fact, there's no generating lift at all. If it's not generating lift, it's not generating g forces. If it's not generating g forces, you're not going to exceed the g limits. You know, and so I don't know about negative. Yeah, and you're flying along in air, and if there's a uh-huh. telegraph, you're still in the air. You're going to go right along with the air. Of course. You know, that's why I say the bigger, heavier airplanes are less turbulent. No, they're not. <laughs> they're still in the same air. <laughs> the air is bigger than the airplane, whether you're flying a Cessna 150 or, or a 747. You're still affected by – the airplane is still moving. If you've got a 20-mile-an-hour crosswind across a runway, I don't care whether you're in a 747 or a Cessna 150. You're still moving at 20 miles an hour you know, where the wind is going. The only difference is 747 is a lot faster. So it covers much more ground forward than your yeah, system 150. Still, uh, <clears throat> they still, 747 still is affected by the flight, I mean, the principles of flight. Like you yeah. can't, you have a, a crosswind coming in from the left, you can't mm-hmm. tilt that wing up, the wind will turn the damn plane over. Yeah, yeah. Did you like our drone show yesterday? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the, well. It's funny the crosswinds are not taught for all you folks. That uh, I, I can't tell you how many private pilots and uh, and student pilots I saw from other instructors that had no concept of what to do in a crosswind. It's one of the least well taught aspects of flying. Probably one of the most critical is how do you handle a crosswind. You know, I'm like get that nose I've down, get that wing into the wind, in. and get that rudder in. You know, yeah, I've seen some. I've seen some planes come in for a landing. Some big jets. They were practically 45 degrees. With the runway, and you know, like they was getting ready to go off the side of the runway, the nose <laughs> was pointing to the side, and they was going down the runway until their wheels got close. Then they flip around, and when you know, hoping that grab that the friction does what it does, and, <laughs> and everything. No, I think would be they're cool. actually made for that. 
I think the the big airliner is like the Airbus, the big one. I think it's actually made yeah. so that uh, the, the the landing gear is strong enough that uh, at a up to a certain angle, it'll straighten itself out. They actually land in what's called a crab angle. So they land at the angle that allows them to fly straight down the runway, even though the noise, nose is pointed off into the wind. They actually, do, you don't see them doing what we used to, what we do in the small planes is we call the wing down, you know, or, or side slip method. So in other words, you're actually, you know, putting your wing down into the wind and you're actually, you're turning into the wind, but keeping the nose straight with the rudder. So you're actually crossing the controls and you're, you're, you're descending vertically, even though if there were no wind, you'd be slipping sideways. So you're slipping into the wind. Mm-hmm. You know, at the same rate that the wind is pushing you in the opposite direction, and that allows you to fly straight to the runway. And I've done tons of one-wheel landings. You know, it felt like we're Bob Hoover down there. I, I did one student. The wind was so bad, we did one-wheel landings and one-wheel takeoffs. We land, it, was a, it was a left crosswind, about 28 knots, <laughs> which is ridiculous, right? And most airplanes, most pilots wouldn't even fly, most airliners wouldn't even fly in that. And here I am, my 172, with a student, you know, on a phase check. I'm like, we can't do that, so let's find out. <laughs> We could do it, okay, but we but we didn't land. We just stayed on one wheel and just flew down the runway on one wheel. And said, "Yeah, enough. Yeah, okay, full power. Let's get out of here. Okay, fine. No flap." And, yeah, uh, when you're hitting you know, and you're you're hitting and your your courses, two mm-hmm. different things. We could have landed, but see, a small plane is so small. I would have landed on a taxiway into the wind. <laughs> Forget the runways. I don't <laughs> in the right direction. Let me put a land on a taxiway. <laughs> You know, so yeah. you the, it's just kind of interesting. There was a, a bonanza, a straight tail bonanza that landed on a, on a freeway and was perfectly yeah, fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they, they, so the, the pilot lost power. It was only the pilot on board. Beautiful beach. It used to be called Debonair when it was the straight tail. The V-tails, I don't like the V-tails. I like three control services. Thank you. But anyway, the pilot had the presence of mind to land on the shoulder. And, of course, the cars, you know, landing in the direction of traffic, you know, you're not going that much faster than the traffic. If the traffic's doing 70, that's, that's pretty much, you know, your landing speed might be 75, 80. It, from a lot of small airplanes, it's not that much faster. So you're kind of descending down into the traffic. It's not a bad situation. Of course, they move. <laughs> Most people seeing an airplane beside them move, you know, because so they're, they're not, you know, they're not. But then you land on the, on the, um, in the breakdown lane, and assuming there's no guardrail, pass, you know, a lot of other stuff. And California doesn't have a lot of that stuff. Um, you just uh, pull those up and, you know, call 911 and say, here I am. <laughs> It's a good technique. Except cars will be behind you blowing your horn, wanting you to move. I think they do that. I think that's what happens is that the, the cars, once they see you fly over their head, they start honking and uh, clearing traffic. Yeah, you know, cars are pretty good about that kind of thing. Well, what did you think of our drone show? You know, we, we got a couple of pilots here. Um, I find the whole idea of drones fascinating uh, in terms of warfare, law enforcement, self you know, construction, pipelines, you know, all the different things that are happening. Drone technology. If anybody needs a job, you know, you're disgusted with your, your boring, dull job. I, I'm looking to becoming a drone pilot because I think it's going to be such a growth field, you know, over the next, uh, I don't know, however long, 20, 30, 40 years. It's fascinating, I think, what's happening with drones. Well, you know, I, I have drones. I told you my grandson is studying for his uh, 107, which is commercial drone certification mm-hmm. that you get from the FAA. But they're, they're fun. They do they do a lot of things. There's a lot of practical applications that can be used for it. You know, one mm-hmm. that I really am impressed with is uh, in agriculture, mm-hmm. how they have sensors that can fly over a field back and forth, and they can plot out the nutrients that's in the ground, mm-hmm. the soil that you're flying over, then you know where to apply 
uh, certain fertilizers, certain nutrients in order to get everything up to stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I think uh, Which that's one of the most coolest things I've seen. What's that? And we have to admit, because we know what we're looking at, mm-hmm. is when Elon Musk's lift rockets can come right back down and land vertically safe where they started off at. That's cool, man. That's like Flash Gordon stuff. Remember when we were kids? And we look at these things and, yes, uh, you know, flash guard, all this, uh, you know, but you know, what's interesting. Yeah. I, I love that kind of stuff. I think though, but, but kids today, at least your grandson is, is doing the part 107. I might do a part 107 too. Cause, uh, Kenneth was saying that if you get it before September 16th, you can fly drones from your, you know, your backyard and your house and it's okay. But if you wait till after six, September 16th this year, when the rules change, uh, then, then you can't, you have to fly from an approved drone park. And so I'm, I might get a part 107 just because, just so I can fly one. Who knows what I'm going to want to do 10, 20 years from now? I don't know. I want to have my part 107 grandfathered in. Um, but um, is he actively using drones? Are you, are you guys playing with them? Are you racing them? Are you, uh, you know? No, we don't. What, what? We don't have a time for that. <clears throat> but you now, see, okay. now I'm against that. I think the drones, presently, they can fly at an altitude 400 feet above the terrain uh-huh. or whatever. Uh, if you got a commercial drone, you can fly 400 feet above whatever structure that you are examining. You know, if it's a 40-story building, which normally uh-huh. is about 400 feet itself, will you allow okay. to fly a total of uh, 800 above the ground because you can fly 400 above that surface plus 1,000 feet around it, if I'm not mistaken. So but what you just said about the rules and regulation change, I'm totally against that. Okay. I think a person in their backyard should be able to go up 400 feet. I do too. Absolutely. You know, and I agree. I wasn't justifying the rules change. I was just saying that it might be advisable to get it uh, done now before the rules change because it does. Yeah, I agree with you. It doesn't sound like it makes sense. You know, why shouldn't you be able to fly a drone? The only thing I'm thinking of, uh, first of all, airplanes from flying over these have a thousand foot restriction from the highest obstacle. You know, I used to fly over the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, routinely when I was uh, instructing, we get what we call the Bay Tour. And we just tell, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, tell, uh, I think it was, I forgot what the coast, the, the approach was, Bay Approach. So you call Bay Approach and say, uh, yeah, Cessna, da, 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 you know, doing a Bay Tour, heading up the Golden Gate Bridge, heading north. Okay, cool. You know, we flew at 1,600 feet because the top of the towers is 600 feet. So we had a 1,000-foot clearance. We were, we were totally in regulation, you know, and some people didn't. <laughs> we knew they were flying lower, but that's not my problem. I'm not responsible for uh, what other people do. Uh, in fact, some people used to even fly under it. <laughs> That's a whole other story. Um, but uh, no, we and it, you know, once you're on radar, you better stick with the rules. But I routinely, you know, as part of student, for, we do like a fun trip, you know. And if you got you got to have fun in your instruction, and then we go do touch and goes up north and uh, um, in Petaluma or, or Santa Rosa or places like that. But uh, yeah, we routinely fly over the bridge. We did it all the time, but with a thousand foot restriction. So if you got drones 400 feet above a structure, you've got airplanes a thousand feet above a structure. You have a 600 foot you know, window between the drone and the airplanes. That should be fine. That should be enough, one would think. Well, you know, another thing, too, the next mode of transportation that you're going to witness is uh, Jetson style, the Jetson being the cartoon characters. Uh, that style of transportation. They're going to have vectors in the sky, which probably is going to parallel mm-hmm. your major boulevards and, of course, you're going to have side streets, side vectors that you can go down and land in your yard. So that's going to be uh, something prominent in, uh, in the near future. 
in our probably maybe in, even in our lifetimes. Well, I think it will be. I think they have them now. They just haven't made them commercially viable. But uh, the idea, I'd love to have a personal drone. You can't even do my shopping in my drone. <laughs> you know, so, so you have a drone parking lot and you have a car parking lot. So you have your little drone field, <laughs> you know, so I, so, I, so I park my drone, right? Take my keys, you know, go, go to uh, Winn-Dixie or Publix or my local farmer's market, pick up my goods, come back to my drone, you know, weigh it, make sure that I'm weight compliant and uh, go home. <laughs> that would be fabulous fun. I would love to do that. But here's the question, though. Do you want amateurs, you know, flying? Uh, and, and, and Kenneth was talking about this, too. The idea that certain drones are going to be uh, automated. So you basically, you punch in the coordinates and the drone acts as your pilot. It takes off, it flies, predetermined height. They're going to have to have some kind of what we call TCAS, terminal collision avoidance system. There's going to have to have some kind of DCAS, drone collision avoidance. They're going to have to have proximity and things like that. And those are going to have to talk to each other maybe, you know, for the, for the automatic ones. Now, as manual drone pilots, we should be able to fly it as we want to fly it you know, with altitude and things like that. I don't know if they, you know, we may even have to get into transponders. Just in case some some rogue drone pilot starts flying way up high, uh, you know, the drone might have to be identified, but that it gets into Big Brother regulating where you go and tracking you. So the yin and yang, there's good and bad in all this. But I think the idea of a personal drone, one that I can fly myself because I'm a pilot, you know, maybe we can get certified to have a manual drone. If you're not certified, you get an automatic drone and you can only let it program and take you where you program it to go. How's that sound? Well, it all sounds good. Then ultimately, you're going to be able to uh, have the anti-gravity, quote-unquote, and that type of uh, ascent and descent, uh, hmm. just like uh, the USS Enterprise on Star Trek. I uh, am sad that I won't be able to be alive during that period of time, but uh, that would be very interesting. You know, that's the problem with dying. I think about that, too. It says, you know, because I'm 63, and I think, you know, what, what's the future going to bring that I'm not going to get to play with? <laughs> you know, I'm just hoping that I can get uh, this organization big enough that it'll generate enough money that I can buy my jet and experience what I've always wanted to do, which is, you know, aerobatic jet flight and have my own plane that I can race around in. Uh, you know, like I said, the airline thing didn't work out. A lot of things didn't work out. Eyesight didn't work out. I couldn't join the military. So I still want my last chance. And, and so that I think about that as to what can I do. But, uh, you know, I'll look down from heaven and see what, what everybody's up to. But I just I like to be able to play with it, you know, as a person. But look where we've come from. You know, and this is why I tell folks that you have to do what you want to do. If you want to learn to fly, learn to fly. Don't wait. And if you can do it, do it or find a way to do it. Because uh, there's there's only so much time you have to do the things you want to do. You want to go travel and see the pyramids? Go see the pyramids. I haven't seen the pyramids yet. I want to go. I want to go to Israel. I want to go to Egypt. I want to go. Uh, I've never been to Africa. I've never been to uh, some of the Asian countries I want to visit. I got places to go and things to do. And I'm hoping this will afford the opportunity, you know, either as part of Action Radio or because of it, to be able to do these things. But uh, have my own personal drone. I think we will see that. I just want to be healthy enough to enjoy it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking care of my personal health now, losing weight, exercising, you know, building up my immune system so that for as long as possible, as, as, as long as, you know, God's pleasure gives me, uh, you know, to do what I want to do, I'm going to keep doing it. But there's a lot of personal things that people can do. So go fly that drone. Go, go try something out. You know, whatever it is you want to do, do it and do it now because tomorrow, you know, there's only so many tomorrows and nobody knows what those are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You are 100% right. You uh, don't have to do what you want to do and what you want to do. 
And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't have that opportunity, and some of them are just not risk, uh, wanting to risk what it takes in order to make that happen. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to walk away from society. Yeah. If you go to India and get on one of those trains that go from one one end of the country, I'll tell you what, in China, the train that follows the railroad that follows the Silk Road across mm-hmm. Asia. It's popping yeah. off and men in markets and staying in little, little villages and, you know, just hanging out. So yeah, a lot of people in India ride on top of the trains. <laughs> they just pack them in. <laughs> it's just right on, you know. And life is not safe. There's some places in Africa. It takes all week for a day to go by, seemingly. All week for a day to go by? Explain. All week for one day to go by. Yes, sir. I don't get it. Well, it seems like it takes for an hour. It takes an hour. It just just stays with you. You just don't go fast like that. Oh, you I ever notice that okay. sometimes you can fall asleep and mm-hmm. you think you don't slept for uh, several hours or you only don't slept for maybe 15 minutes? So that's when uh, life is, has slowed down. And you that can gets, just... That's, uh, yeah, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's actually Einstein's theory of relativity. Uh, gets into that as to the time. You know, how do you explain relativity? Because yeah. time can be relative. And so that's the difference. That's a whole other topic. Yeah, great way to end. Totally, totally awesome question. <laughs> you know, we got to go. Um, but uh, but this is fascinating. Uh, so this is interesting. So next week, uh, I'll be getting into uh, Josie's favorite stuff. You know, uh, I want to find out more about the Kennedy assassination, the CIA. Uh, apparently, Gateway Pundit has, uh, has an article um, on how Nixon, you know, in one of the tapes revealed that the CIA, you know, he says, I know who killed John, meaning John Kennedy. Uh, so that may be part of the reason that they got rid of Nixon you know, politically and told him to shut up and don't talk about what he knows because he might know, he might've known and he might've told somebody. So this isn't over, you know, so between Davos, you know, you've got these idiot billionaires trying to run our lives uh, and the CIA killing presidents uh, and uh, who knows what else they're up to trying to control. Everybody's trying to control our lives. You know what I mean, Pianchi? Everybody's all, all I want is to be in control of my own life, man. I want to do my thing. You know, sixties were right. Question authority. Leave me alone. Got to do my thing. Well, note. yeah, those <laughs> things are happening that way. But on that note, as you would get ready to say, I guess I'll see you next week. Have a pleasant and safe weekend and uh, enjoy. You too. And take chances and have fun. And, uh, you know, we're not getting out of this world alive, so you might as well have fun in the meantime. <laughs> you know, and so and nothing is ever safe. Nothing ever is completely safe. Even if you lock yourself in your room, you're not completely safe. So go for it. Go fly an airplane. Go check out a drone. Well, I hate you know, to have you as a partner in the war. <laughs> What's that? I said, I'd hate to have you as a partner on a battlefield. Come on, Pianchi. We ain't going to get out of this alive. Let's go. <laughs> well, I didn't say you have to take unnecessary risks. You know, I'm not a thrill seeker. You know, I'm the, I'm the person that flies the airplane, not jumps out of it. You know, that's Derek. He jumps out of them. That's a different There you story. go. Yeah. I thought you'd gone okay, already. Great. To here. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Pianchi. Ah, appreciate your help for the show. Yeah, all right. So anyway, our website's blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Um, our, our legislative site, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E. Not write, but write, W-R-I-T-E, writeyourlaws.com. Our, our contribution site, givesendgo.com slash action radio. Help us to advance our show and our cause of citizen legislation and all the other things we do here. Tell folks to, uh, you know, share the show, share the bills, you know, do everything you can to help us, and we will do everything that we can to help 
you. I like that. Do everything you can help us with everything we can help you. That's kind of cool. All right. Let me see which one, which one of my Beethoven sonatas or other things I want to play as our exit um, for today. I played that. I played that. That one's too long. That one's too... Yeah, da, 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 da. What am I going to play here for you today? I'll find... Uh, I don't know if you heard that one. Let's do a little Beethoven's Fifth. I love Beethoven's Fifth. So I'll play that. And I'll see you all Monday. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.